Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Breaking it down on a Wednesday. Excuse me, it's only Tuesday. I'm overly excited for the Eagles. I'm sorry. I want to get to the Monday night football game. It's a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there. So we are now two days past that whole debacle against the Giants. Does anybody feel any better? Do you feel differently? Do you feel any better? Can you refocus yourself? Can the Eagles refocus themselves and get ready to make a deep playoff run? We'll find out. Colin Thompson, NFL free agent tight end, going to join us in about a half an hour to tell us what he sees wrong with the Eagles on offense and on defense. Johnny Mack with the latest news and notes around the team. Mike Missinelli tonight at 5 o'clock. Has he ever seen... Something like this in his time covering the Philadelphia sports teams. Is there anything you can compare this collapse to? I still haven't been able to come up with one. I can't even think of a relevant comparison as to how bad this has gotten. But I'll try my best today with your help out there. You can hit me up on the text board 609 403 as we hang out on a Tuesday. I think um, when you take a look at this Philadelphia Eagles team, Mike Greenberg said something on his show, Greenie, and it kind of made you open your eyes. And he pretty much said something that I think a lot of people were thinking when they watched this team on Sunday. I heard him say this about the Eagles. If you just parachuted in from another planet and you had never watched football before and you just watched all the games yesterday, you would emerge saying, you know, those guys from Philadelphia, they're the worst team. Their defense doesn't look like they know what they're doing. Are they coordinated? Do they practice? That's one of the worst defensive performances I think I've ever seen in my life. They made the Giants look like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes at their best, Tyrod and Tommy DeVito. It was ridiculous. If you parachuted in and said, watch this team play, you would come out and say, that's the worst team in football. So how do you go from being the worst team in football to get ready to make a playoff run? How do you go from 10-1 and with high expectations and a lot of excitement to the worst team in football? You can look at it from either angle. You were 10-1 and one at one point. You had Super Bowl aspirations, and now you're this. Or you could look at it from how the heck did you get to this point and how the heck do you springboard from being the worst team in football one Sunday into the playoffs the next Sunday? You know, it's one thing to be the worst team in the NFL on the final day of the year because you decided to sit everybody. Guess what? San Francisco did that, and they almost darn near won the football game against a playoff team who, by the way, I know the Rams sat a lot of players. But if you watch the San Francisco 49ers play, you wouldn't have said, hey, even their backups look like the worst team in football. They look like a competent football team. The Eagles played their starters on Sunday 
and looked like the worst team in football. Now, throughout the game, you know, A.J. Brown went out. Swift didn't play. Smith didn't play. So if you want to say offensively they were missing some key components, fine. I'll even play along that game. But what's the excuse for defense? None. Zero. Got none. And that is why it is so hard to go bang, 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 bouncing off of the contraptions here, going from a playoff team, bouncing back to the final week of the regular season and saying, that team right there, that was the worst team in football this weekend. And the problem is, it hasn't only been the worst team in football this weekend, it was also the worst team in football the previous weekend. Now, as you guys have listened to this show over the years, I'm not big on streaming or stringing, I should say, one week to the next week and to the next week and what it all means. Like, just because you look bad one week and the next weekend doesn't necessarily mean that's who you are. You might just have two weeks where you didn't play your best football. But here's the problem. I'm not even factoring in that one week and the next week and the previous week might all connect. But what I am factoring in is this defense is a huge problem. And I'm not even getting into the specifics of the offense because I think the offense has plenty of problems as well. But when push comes to shove, these are professionals. And I think the offense, if they had to, if it came down to it, they could score 21, 24, 28 points. I mean, even in the weeks where they're not a very good football team, they're still finding ways to somehow score points. Not last week. I get it. But the week before, I mean, we're complaining about how bad the team looked. They scored 31 points, seven of which were on an interception return for a touchdown. I get they only had the ball for about 20 minutes, and they scored 24 points. As clunky as the offense was, they still found a way to score. In the game against the Giants on Christmas Day, even though they looked awful, they still scored 33 points. In the game against the Bills, they got 37 somehow. The win against the Cowboys, they figured out a way to score 28. As much as this offense has been frustrating. Frustrating. (laughs) I have to say, I don't know how they can compete in the playoffs with this defense. And they might be able to compete for a week. And they might be able to compete in Tampa against the Buccaneers and find a way to win that game. And I don't know what that might do for this team because if you're someone who strings weeks together and says, well, you looked horrible last week, they shouldn't even win this week. But if they find a way to win this week, how can they string that together and make us get back on board? I don't know if they ever will, which could lead to the most improbable run of all time because – In 2017, that was maybe the most improbable run you ever saw. They looked horrible, horrible the last couple weeks of that season. Did they not? Mm -hmm. The Eagles were terrible. In the last couple weeks of that 2017 regular season, they looked awful. They lost 6-0 in a game against the Dallas Cowboys where Nate Sudfeld was terrible. Now, they sat a lot of their players in that game, but they looked terrible. The week before, they played the Vegas Raiders or the Oakland Raiders at the time, and they looked horrible in that game. They won 19-10, but they had this defense that was pretty good, but it wasn't great, but they were just kind of making plays. It was the offense that looked like the problem. And here they were, they played the Raiders, and they found a way to win that game, and 
you didn't get excited about them winning 19-10 to against the Raiders. You certainly were disappointed that they didn't play anybody against Dallas. And they lost that game 6 to nothing. And then they got to the playoffs and they went on an epic run and won the first ever Super Bowl for the city. That was maybe the most improbable run that you'll ever see. A team, you know, they went to L.A., they won that game against the Rams, and Wentz got hurt, and at that point you said, they're not winning the Super Bowl. It's not happening. We lost Carson Wentz. He was going to be the MVP of the league, and they lost him. The next week they won. They beat the Giants 34-29, and then they played the Raiders, and they looked terrible. And then they played Dallas and didn't play anybody. So they had no momentum going into those playoffs. That is about the only thing. And by the way, they went into the playoffs that year and played the Falcons and looked awful in that game. They only beat the Falcons 15-10 to in that game. So again, this was a team that had one side of the ball not holding up its end of the bargain, and then it flipped. Then the offense started to start get going, and they scored 38 points against Minnesota. And then they went to the Super Bowl, and they scored 41 points against New England. But it was a couple of weeks of just putrid offensive football for this team, and then they flipped the script. That is about the only thing I think you can look at and say, that was an improbable run, and all of these things that led up to that run were things that I didn't see happening Barely beating the Raiders, sitting all the players against the Cowboys, getting shut out, almost losing to the Falcons because your offense was so inept in the wild card round. And then, actually, it was the divisional round against the Falcons uh, in that game. And then they played the uh, conference championship against Minnesota, and they broke open. So it was about three solid weeks of bad offensive football. And if you're looking right now at the Philadelphia Eagles, you are getting probably three solid weeks of really bad defense. The The Seattle game, they actually played decent. They only gave up 20 points in the Seattle game. And guess what? If you tell me the Eagles gave up 20 points in the next three playoff games, they probably have won all three. If their defense only gives up 20, they probably win. And then they played horrible defense against Dallas. They played horrible defense against the Niners. They played horrible defense against Buffalo. you got to go all the way back to November the 20th. You haven't even had Thanksgiving dinner yet. The last time the Eagles really played a complete defensive game when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs 21-17 on Monday Night Football. So you're going back a ways before you start to feel good about what this defense was. And quite frankly, in the game against Washington, the defense didn't look good. Now, I thought the defense was fine against Dallas uh, on November 5th. They weren't great, but they were fine. If you give up 23 points, you got a shot to win that game. They were really good in the game against Miami. They only gave up 17. They were really good in the game against uh, the Rams, they only gave up 14 in that game. They were probably the best they were all season in the game against Tampa Bay when they only gave up 11. So there's a lot of evidence that this defense has had moments, but I don't have any uh, recent evidence. But I go back to the 2017 thing, where the recent evidence of the offense said, you're not any good with Nick Foles. You're not any good with this group of guys. 19 points against Oakland, 15 points against Atlanta, and then out of nowhere, you scored 38 and 41. 
I don't know that I believe that's going to happen on this defense, but is that about the only thing I could have turned the page back to to find some sort of period where the team on one side of the ball was so inept and then completely turned the corner from ineptitude to why they won the game. I mean, they won the Super Bowl. Yes, they got the play, the strip sack, in which I believe is the greatest play in the history of the franchise. Brandon Graham strip sack, Derek Barnett fumble recovery. But they needed every one of those 41 points to win that game. 609-403-0973. To me, the biggest difference between 2017 and this year is that in 2017, there were games where you saw this team absolutely obliterate other teams. You know, like the Broncos game. Throughout the course of the year. Right. You didn't really have that with this team. And even when that team was looking ugly against the Raiders and the Cowboys, the Raiders and Cowboys weren't scoring 30-plus points against you in those games. The Falcons barely scored on you the playoff game. So I feel like that that team had a lot more – they gave you a little more of, well, maybe – than this team does. Well, I'm not comparing the two teams. I'm just looking at an instance where you had some doubts about a team because one side of the ball was playing so poorly. But isn't there a big difference between having doubts and then saying, man, I'm looking for anything to give me hope? Because that's what this team is to me. This team is, we're almost having to like fabricate reasons why they might be good. Oh, listen, the the comparable notion of where this team is and where that team is, I think, are way different because this team is struggling really on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a part of many of us not – I don't know where that stands right now. I could be wrong. That there is a part of the fan base that feels like they have enough talent on offense that, look, if the game's close and they just have to figure out – like, I think – in in 2021, when the Eagles had this under, you know, they didn't have enough talent. Right. And Nick Sirianni, they went two and five. And then he's like, all right, you know what? We just don't have enough talent. And I give Nick a lot of credit for this. We don't have enough talent. So let's just utilize what we do do well. Let's just run the ball. And he gave up play calling, too. And they, but they ran the ball. They Forget the fact that he gave up the play calling. They changed who they were. They changed what their identity was. They went from a team that wanted Jalen Hurts to kind of be a quarterback throwing the ball, and they said, this isn't working. Let's use this offensive line, and let's just run the ball and see what happens. Can Nick Sirianni get to these playoffs? There's a lot of people with, I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but if you believe Dallas Goddard that essentially said, ah, we've been waiting for the playoffs this whole time, or the old, hey, they can just flip the switch at any time. I don't think I buy that particular notion on the defensive side of the ball. However, I can be convinced if Nick Sirianni goes to uh, Brian Johnson, the play caller, and this week the two of them sit down and have a little man-to-man, and Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni look at each other and say, you know what, we want to make a deep run. And we legitimately want to be a factor in these playoffs and keep that defense off the field. Let's get back to our roots. Let's run the ball. I mean, they went to Tampa. There's no better example of this season 
than going to Tampa Bay in week number three and running the ball 40 times against the Buccaneers. They ran the ball 40 times against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they ran for over 200 yards. It was DeAndre Swift, 16 carries for 130 yards. It was Kenneth Gainwell, 14 carries for 43 yards. And it was Jalen Hurts who ran 10 times for 28 yards. That is five yards per carry, 40 carries, 201 yards, and a touchdown. If you can say, you know what, let's figure out a way to keep our defense off the field while working the clock They had the ball for 38 minutes and 55 seconds against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers had it for 21.05. Regardless of how bad your defense is, if they're only on the field for 21 minutes in the game, you got a lot better shot to win that game. So for me, the only thing, there are two pebbles of evidence that I can cling to that make me feel somewhat positive about this game, is that they have shown against this opponent in the same exact building that we can run the football against this team. Now, that was however many weeks ago. I mean, they played that game. Think about how your life was different. When they played this game, it was all the way back in week number three, and the the day was Monday night, September the 25th. So here we are. Back then, you didn't care about the Eagles because of the Phillies. Uh, not quite yet, because the Phillies were still in the regular season. It wasn't quite playoff time yet. Once the Phillies turned the counter, it was about a week later. But think about that. The Phillies were still in the regular season when you played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're actually closer to pitchers and catchers than you are to that game. <laughs> when you think about <laughs> it from that true. angle. <laughs> That's how different that game was. You but can, Mike Gill can't wait to see a Ryan Kirkery again. Soon enough. Um, about a month from now. But if you go back to that game, 609-403-0973, that game there, because you could say, look, I could pick a game out and say, man, if they could play the game like they did against Miami, 31-17, they looked good, they played good defense, they scored 31 points, they only gave up 17. I would say the Miami game and the Tampa Bay game are probably the two games this year where you would say they were your most complete football games. The only thing that gives you some positivity is I don't want to go back to the Miami game because Styles makes the fights and Miami's a different team. Right. Tampa Bay's the same team. It's the same building. And I'm not saying you can roll out the same game plan, but man, I've already got the confidence that I can run the ball on you. What are you going to do to stop me that you couldn't do the last time we played? And to me, if you want to go into this playoff game with a with glass half full, That's about the only water I could pour for you is that this defense in that game was only on the field for 21 minutes. I'm not even trying to convince you that the defense is why you win the game. I'm just saying if they don't have to appear, (laughs) that's your best shot. 609-403-0973 on the text board. Uh, uh, Dan in Egg Harbor Township, Texan. Sirianni just wants the season to be over. Yeah, I don't think Sirianni is is mailing it in. I don't think Sirianni... Look, Sirianni's taking a lot of shots. And I will say this. Uh, Mike Vrabel just got fired in Tennessee. If you ask me right now, would I replace Sirianni? If I knew I can get Vrabel, my answer would be yes. 
Mike Vrabel, to me, is one of the premier coaches in this league. It's funny you said that because Chris Long said this on the Green Light podcast yesterday about Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel does a great job of covering for his team's deficiencies. Where is that right now? Mm-hmm. Because I don't even know what your strengths are. You know what I mean? Your strengths, you've kind of, you've kind of just lost your strengths. You, know, you thought about the explosive plays last year outside. They haven't had those. You think about the the pounding run game. You think about the the they got the, the, the big pass rush AJ in the middle of the season. Like that was wasted on a great run. There's just nothing. There's <coughs> nothing that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what they do well. They can hang their hat on that. Yeah, they don't know what they are. That's been one of the problems with this team all season long. And he don't know what they are. And he's saying Vrabel would make sure you know who you are. Yes, I like Vrabel a lot. Like the Belichick thing we talked about yesterday, and I know it sounds crazy to say I don't I don't want I don't say I don't want Bill Belichick. I just don't know that it's the right fit Bill Belichick. But Vrabel Vrabel to me is a disciplined guy, but he's a players coach guy, and you're right. He is a guy where you know what the identity is. My identity Look, they had an identity with Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator. When he left, they still had the same identity. They are Derrick Henry. He's had multiple different quarterbacks. They're always in play. I read something. I think our friend Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports tweeted this out. Mike Vrabel played the game on Sunday. It was the first time he has ever coached a game where his team had been mathematically eliminated. And you're talking about the Tennessee Titans. I mean, this isn't like, you know, they were the number one seed in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Now, Mike Vrabel had them as the number one seed a couple of years ago. A.J. Brown was on that team. If Vrabel was available, and now he is, and he said, I want to go coach the Philadelphia Eagles, I would think the Philadelphia Eagles would have to be interested. Now, I know they're not completely saying, nobody's saying, well, there are people saying, I take that back, you got to fire Nick Sirianni. If you lose this game, and it's an ugly game, I think you severely have to consider it. You definitively have to look in the mirror, and I'm not calling for anybody's job today, but on Sunday, if you lose, and you lose because that defense was just absolutely an embarrassment again, I think you have to seriously consider looking at yourselves and wondering that decision to make Patricia the play caller and the impact it had on the locker room and the impact that it had on the field. And unfortunately, sometimes Sal Palantonio on Friday's show said, if you get rid of Nick Sirianni, what's your options? You now have an option that really stands out. You now have an option that would make me say, I like that option better than what I have. The Belichick thing... I mean, I'm not sitting here saying Nick Sirianni's a better coach than Bill Belichick. I'm not saying that. But where he is in his career and just the dynamics of Lori and Roseman and Belichick, I just don't know that that works. But Vrabel, I would take my chances with and say, I have upgraded at that position. And I think one thing with Vrabel that he has that Sirianni doesn't have is... He has a lot of contacts and respect around the league, and I question whether or not, and I'm not even talking about do people like Nick Sirianni, do they not like Nick Sirianni, does he have the same contacts? Because if you lose your coordinators and you can't find capable people, that's a problem. And if you fire the guys you got right now, are you able to find 
replacements. Mike Vrabel can do that. All right, coming up, Colin Thompson. What's wrong with this Eagles team? When he watches the film, are there fixable things or is it just way too deep now? NFL free agent tight end Colin Thompson from the Colin Thompson Show joins us coming up in just about five minutes from now. Kevin Durso on the big Flyers trade in one hour from right now on the one and only Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 231 on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Colin Thompson, NFL free agent tight end. He can tell us a lot about what he sees on film that maybe the fans can't see. But I'll tell you what, Colin Thompson, Mike Greenberg said something. He said, if you parachute at someone who's never watched football before and said, watch this team play, he would, they would surmise that this is the worst team in football, and they would have a pretty good argument. And I would love to hear your expository on how this team should give the fans any <laughs> any excitement as they get ready for Tampa in a playoff game. Colin Thompson's back here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. What's up, buddy? Hey, Mike. Uh, listen, I think if anybody truly, truly believes they could put a thumb on what has happened with this football team, they should be a next head coach in the NFL somewhere. They should have your and my seats behind Mike's. Like, if anybody sits down and says, this is it, or these two things are it, I, I don't even know which way to turn. So if you were if you were right now, if you were a coach, all right, you do coach, you're an offensive coordinator. If you're watching this team, man, you're calling offensive plays, lower Cape May Regional. Uh, you've been in NFL play calling rooms. You've been in those meetings. If you're watching this offense right now, what do you see that needs to be tweaked, fixed, changed, or it's not working? Or is there anything that is working that they can maybe lean on? Mike, I've been in these rooms before. This is how it goes down. You're sitting there. The offensive coordinator walks in. He hands the quarterback the remote to control the film, and the coaches walk out of the room. And they say, guys, you're going to watch this film together. Be self-critical of each other. Have fun. And they don't even watch the film with you. And guys do or don't take ownership of different things, right? Could be a lazy effort, could be a missed block, a, a drop pass. And usually there's some good that comes out of it because everybody sits together and says, we got to be better. We get it. Yes, there's some things we all need to do better. But what's happening right now with the Eagles are 10 out of 11 guys on a consistent play are doing a great job, but it's always somebody new. It's not like one guy. This guy's having a bad year. I don't know. Like, is anybody where the Eagles really having a bad year offensively? Like, that guy's having a bad year. Not really. Not really. I mean, Jalen hasn't been what he's been, but you still see Jalen make throws where you're like, that's why he's worth every penny. But that's what's so perplexing about the offense is, you know, Hurts has been good. I wouldn't say he's been at the same level as last year, but he hasn't been awful. You got Brown, you got Smith, you got Swift, you've got Goddard, you've got this really good offensive line. So is it not perplexing? If you were sitting in that room, let's say Colin Thompson was Jack Stoll. You had a, you know, a role on the team. It was a similar role, Mm -hmm. but you're looking around watching the film and you're saying, 
Why are we struggling? What looks <laughs> happening in here? Like looking at the names on the back of those jerseys, it is perplexing to be able to summon here and ask a guy who has played in this league and you can't come up with an answer as to how this talent is not translating into success. I was Jack Stoll or maybe more like a Calcaterra, like even more down the roster, um, but still on it. And he's a great player too. Both those guys are great backups in this league. I, I think, I mean, Mike, I'm stumped. That's what I'm saying. They should have our mics because I've been in this room where where things are going well and then things stop going well. Are you in that like, room, though, and everybody looks at each other and says, we don't have the answer? No, never. Usually, usually the most part is this. It's like, well, we're not running the ball anymore. Or, well, we lost a player due to injury. Eagles haven't. Well, we, our coordinator is getting this. Our head coach is always... Thing, one concrete thing. You're like, we changed this. We don't have gaps run anymore. We don't run outside zone and spread passes anymore. We're trying to take too many shots at the field, or we don't use the running backs enough, or maybe DeAndre needs to get the ball more. Like with the Eagles, it's like, I don't know, uh, 10 different things, and it's not even like one thing's the issue. We're like, they're, you just can't put a finger on it. So it's very confusing. I, I don't have the answer, and I don't know if any really fan or player does. Maybe maybe some of the players do in that building, but I know this. Players don't get enough of the blame. They don't. Okay. It's really easy to blame coach blame coaches. A lot of players know that. They need to play better. You heard AJ Brown talk about it. They'll play better. They're pros, but I've been saying that for six weeks now, Mike. And I said it before when they were winning and it was close, not pretty, but it hasn't been really pretty in a long time. Miami and Tam- and Tampa, who they're about to play next week. They were the two, like, pretty games for the Eagles this year. Yeah. So, I want to ask you, you know, when you play a division opponent, how much do you lean on the first time you played them? Go back and watch that game and say, this is what we did good against them the first time. Let's implement it. I asked that question because you just said it. One of the few complete games they had, they ran the ball 40 times for 200 yards in the game against Tampa. Do they go back? How much do they watch that first game and say, this is what worked against this same team Let's implement it again. I think it's a great question, Mike. So what the Eagles will do is they're going to track the trend of maybe, I'm just saying this from an offensive perspective, take it that way so it's easier to just handle here. They're going to track the trend of like red zone defense. Did they play that same coverage the entire time? All right, so they say they play quarters or man-to-man in the red zone. Great. Well, then they're going to go look back at the game and say they played quarters and man-to-man against us. Here's what worked in the red zone. Great, we're going to run those plays. And then we're going to use motion and shift to disguise it, but run the same plays that worked before. Now, the stuff they were doing against the Bucks to begin with, Mike, was they were just running like inside zone up and down the field with some RPOs, like the stuff they've always done. Like the stuff where we got on the – I've been on this radio show for two years now being like, this team is sick. Like they're sick. They're, they don't – they're all of them are great. Like there's no negative. Like, they may lose a Super Bowl by seven points or whatever it was, but like there's no really negative to the team. So – you lean on the film a lot, Mike, but when it's earlier in the season, like Tampa game was, it's a little bit less. Now, if it was like a month ago, sure. But you, you want to see how they react to different formations and shifts. But at the end of the day, what the Bucks do defensively with the five bigs, Vita Vey, it knows, like they're going to make you win your one-on-one blocks and they're going to run and tackle at the linebacker position with Levante David. They got a ton of studs. So they bought like a lot of man-to-man. They bring a ton of pressure. They, they're going to disguise that pressure. Todd Bowles, he's a Temple guy. He's a Philly guy. 
Um, he's a pressure-based defense. So it's some interesting stuff there, but it's great points, Mike. They're going to refer to it, but it's not going to be the gospel. They're going to look and try to see what they've done lately to teams. Uh, NFL free agent tight end Colin Thompson spent uh, three years in the NFL from not for long media, uh, breaking down what we see from this Eagles team. Um, the Giants blitzed them to death. And it now seems that teams are saying the Eagles don't pick up the blitz package. They don't have answers for the blitz. You mentioned Todd Bowles. Is Todd Bowles saying, I just watched Wink Martindale. Guess what? I'm going to do something similar. Eagles fans, I'd be happy that Wink decided to leave the Giants and move forward, by the way. That's a side note. He left. I'm sure you've talked about it on this show. Um, Wow. I mean, Nick Bosa said it a couple weeks ago, right? Like, we gave you the, or Joey Bosa, or whoever it was, and I always get him confused. Yeah. We gave you the keys, right? With the blueprint. Pressure. Yep, we gave you the blueprint. The blueprint. Follow. And everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, you doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm like, I don't know. I probably listened to him. The guy's pretty good. And they're like, he did, what were his stats that day? And they weren't that great. Well, why not? Because everyone else is making plays because the Eagles were going to him. So right, they they listen. <clears throat> obviously, they have one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL, if not the best in Stoutland. Because it players wise. Mike, they have the best offensive line in the NFL, probably. Probably. With depth, too, and backups and draft picks. So, okay. But it's the structure of the offense of what they do. Right? They run a lot of empty. They don't have tight ends and protection a lot. There's play-action pass isn't a ton. And it's out of an empty, not an empty, but it's with no tight ends or fullbacks. So, they're putting themselves at risk to spread things out. If they get the long down a distance, third and 10, you know, second and 11, like you're playing these long down the distance, teams are going to heat you up. And what you said, Giants brought the pressure. They brought the pressure. And Arizona did too, for that matter. So everybody's bringing the pressure, and that's what happens. They say in the NFL, if there's something happens, it takes three to four weeks to get the stink off of you. So they're just going to run the same blitzes and pressures that were ran the week before. They're not going to change it. And they're going to say, you stop it. And until you stop it, it's going to take three or four weeks for it to go away, and the team don't run it anymore. All right, talk about stink, Colin Thompson, the defense. Um, if you are in an offensive room right now preparing for the Eagles, you have to be licking your chops as a tight end, are you not? Or as a receiver, or as an offensive skill player. What has happened to the defense? You talk about players, but what are they running on defense? You're perplexed, Mike, if you're in that room sitting in that. You're in that offensive meeting room that week and you're watching film of the red zone, you're watching film of short yardage, you're watching film of these players that were breaking NFL records for sacks and were a defensive backfield that was playing really well and linebackers running and hitting to now this year, it's a complete shell of himself. And player-wise, I get it. They lost Edwards, Gardner Johnson. There's some players not there, but they were going to replace him with like average cats. Like they traded for Bayard. Guy was a pro bowler. Right, Hassan Reddick, like guy's one of the best in the league. So, like when it comes to like what they're running, Mike, they're what about how they're using the structure of it. What about how they're using Reddick? I mean, he's lost. Yeah, that coverage. whole drop thing, the drop in the coverage thing, or people get really hung up on that. But like, the Eagles want to run a five down front, right? They want to bring five. Well, if they're going, teams are going to spread you out. You can't bring five all the time because then you're man to man on the back end. So you, you know, can't pay Peter, pay Paul, right? The whole thing, steal from Peter, pay Paul. Like something has to give. So. They were mixing it up, dropping Hassan into, into coverage because Hassan is better at it than Sweat. Hassan played defensive back when he came to Temple, mind you. So mixing it in, I don't mind it. TJ Watt drops in coverage with the Steelers. So 
Like I get what people are saying and made a big deal about that. A couple social media clips, a couple national media talk about it. And all of a sudden it's the narrative. Um, <clears throat> they thought that was the best way to stop Kyler in, in Arizona is bring four and drop us on into coverage. And why are they doing it? Right. To help the DBs, to help the defensive backfield, to help the linebackers, because why? What's the number one complaint? It's really not the D-line. It's the back seven. So, Well, I would say the D-line is not performing to the level that we hope. They're not. They're not. They're not. I mean, Graham, right, they're all getting older. They're all getting older. And we had this debate. On, right, we talked about it before. On you, on, I think you and I have talked about it either on my show or, or on your show of, like, the Phillies, the old Phillies players. Like, you're going to pay them at the end of their careers because of the nostalgic, and they're still great players, but how long are they going to be great players for? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the question. That's a million, multi, hundred million dollar question for the Eagles. It was for the Phillies, too. Um, I think, listen, and two for the future for the Eagles, they're like two or three draft picks away from being right back to where they were. Like, they, they, they're not they're right there. It's just not been pretty. And who who is it on, right? That's the question. The buck stops with the head coach, the GM, and the owner. And the quarterback. At the end of the day, like that's how that's how this league operates. So, like, which one of those four are to blame the most? Um, and that's what's going to have to happen here with the Eagles. We'll see what happens in the future. But it's it's crazy times in Philly. This team is the best team in the NFL for a vast majority of last year and a good part of this year, and it's just completely unraveled. I can't uh, say, Colin that I've ever seen anything like this, where you're 10-1 and one and you have a positive feeling that you're going to at least make a deep playoff run, be competitive, and the possibility of going back to a Super Bowl to being... I mean, there's no anticipation for this playoff run at all because of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. It's it's unparalleled. It, if you're an Eagles fan, it's borderline. It is stressful. It's not even borderline stressful. It's stressful because there's a comfortability being like, this team's going to show up, they're going to be physical, we're going to score points. We're going to beat you up with our running backs and tight ends and wide outs. And we got a son Reddick and mm-hmm. the whole nine. And it's like, it's not been, it's not been good. And the rookies, like these are high drafted players that have played well at times and then not at others. Yeah. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Dallas Goddard said, Hey, once we clinch, we maybe uh, we're just kind of looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, does anything, does that hold to any water to you? No, no. I mean, I respect Dallas. He's a great player. One of the best tight ends in the league. At the end of the day, like, uh, what are you not going to go? What are you going to? What are you going to play half speed and not? You can't. It John doesn't make any sense. Like, you're just going to give up the number one seed just to like be the five seed, and I, I, like no. I, to me that that I, could just ooh. be like I'm in. I got microphones in my face, and I don't know what else yeah. to say. But yeah, I, I can't I imagine I that that uh, is resonating throughout. Colin Thompson, not for long media. The Colin Thompson Show, everybody, right here on the Sports Bash Live. On 97.3 ESPN Eagles Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, brother. All right. Colin Thompson, everybody here. And, of course, uh, you can hear him on the Sports Bash with his thoughts. A guy who's played in the league gives us a great perspective on uh, everything in terms of what you do Leading up to a game, and you talk about being in that film room, if you're an offensive player looking at the Eagles' defense, you got to be looking at yourself and saying, what in the world are they doing on the defensive side of the ball? We'll talk more about the news and notes on this team. I want to hear from you guys out there as well at 609-403-0973, A couple text messages I will hit on and react to. On the other side, if you text next, I'll get you in. 609-403-0973. 
The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. 2.52 on a Tuesday. It's a little windy outside. Be careful if you're hanging out outside or you're driving around. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. John McMullen in eight minutes. And I was actually watching the Flyers game last night there, Josh. And Jim Jackson said, you know, Flyers have made a pretty big move. We'll have more on that in just a moment. I was like, that's interesting. What trade could they have made to rock my world in the middle of the first period of the game against the Penguins last night? I think they were losing one nothing or maybe 2 nothing at the time. Might have been 2-1. But I went on to, to uh, X and pulled it up. And it said the Flyers have traded Cutter Gautier to uh, Anaheim for uh, Jamie Drysdale in a second-round pick. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Huge, huge deal. And I'm so glad you're having Durso on today because th- this is a massive story in the hockey world. Like, this is this is, this is is ridiculous. Like, Cutter Gautier just helped win the World Junior Championships. He's one of the best prospects of hockey. And... The reason why the Flyers traded him, I don't remember this ever. I mean, according to people like Pierre Lebron and EJ Hradic, like apparently this has happened numerous times before. But he mentioned I today. I was it. watching something that uh, Pierre Lebron brought up that uh, there was a player. Uh, you know, that a lot of the American collegiate players sometimes say, "Hey, I don't want to play in a certain right. spot," and this has happened. A lot of people have wondered why. He does not want to play for Philadelphia. And there's been a lot of conspiracy theories out there, by the way. You've got he doesn't want to play for Tortorella, that Kevin Hayes went to Boston College, and because Kevin Hayes doesn't like Tortorella, that he had convinced him not to play here, that he was a Penguins fan growing up, and that I can't imagine that that would be the reason. But there has been a lot of theories. We're going to talk to Kevin Durso about it in about 40 minutes from now. To try to see, he was at the game last night, and he said, I texted him, and he said, it is chaos up here right now. And this was before the period ended. And then Danny Briere, they had to put him in the press box to hold an impromptu media scrum in between the periods of the game last night. They were trying to put fires out all over the place because they had Keith Jones on TV. They had Briere over here. They had all sorts of stuff happening. So now that the dust is settled, we'll have Kevin Durso in about 35 minutes from now to give us some insight on why the Flyers felt now was the time to trade maybe their top prospect. That's coming up here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. But when we come back, everybody seems to be down on the Eagles. But is it time to turn that frown upside down? We'll talk to John McMullen about that coming up next on the Sports Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three, Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you, talking to all of you out there as the Eagles getting ready For the Buccaneers, I think they have the day off today. Nick Sirianni, I think, said with the Monday night game, they'll take some more time off. Is that a pertinent idea? Take more time off. 
We'll talk to John McMullen in just a second from Birds 365. He's brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Go to the Gallery, go to Ocean, go for the win. For more, visit OceanAC.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE. Let's bring in Johnny Mack here. Eagles getting ready for Tampa. As we know, it's a 4-5. They'll play Monday night. Uh, they're going to follow their normal Monday night. They do not have anything set for today. I don't think uh, they're doing anything. Are they doing anything tomorrow, John? Uh, coordinators are speaking, but nothing on the field. No practice uh, tomorrow, right? No. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is practice. The way things are going right now, would you? Uh, would you? I don't know. Do they? Would you want to get them back out there and just kind of get them going, or do you think staying away longer makes more sense? Well, I, first of all, understand this is very collectively bargained as far as limitations on how much practice time you have with the players. Now, well, I know uh, Tuesday Eagles, you have to have off, right? Yeah, the Eagles. Well, it depends on the week. Again, it's Monday. Monday night game, but you have 13 padded practices throughout the season. Now that increases into in the playoffs. So um, we'll see if the Eagles put on pads on, on Thursday. They might try to do that, but you're limited somewhat. I know Javon Hargrave came out talking today, uh, not this week. Uh, you may have seen the clip where he's talking about San Francisco practices harder. And a lot of people ran with that, but, you know, <laughs> knowing Javon, he, he much would have preferred Philadelphia's mindset and, and their thought process is more important to manage things to get to the players as healthy. And as a veteran team, I can't necessarily uh, disagree with them. Uh, it, it, you know, one extra practice, even if you could do it, is not helping you in week 19 of the NFL season. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that baton and go too far with it. Um, obviously, this team has a lot of issues, John. If they were to focus on something this week at practice, what is something that maybe they can try to fix between now and Monday night, if anything at all? Well, it's always execution. And, you know, a lot of these plays where, where, where people think they're bad plays, and I know um, – Emmanuel Acha or one of those film guys put up the, the every every play that you know people put in and and at the end of, of the Arizona game when they're trying to run the quarterback sweeps and he and he put up and he and they really were Nick Sirianni explained um, that they were a little bit of a block away from having a big play and he put it up there and sure enough if if they would have hit Buda Baker on the block they probably would have had a who knows how long it would have won, 15, 20 yards. So that's the difference between, and they ended up losing four yards on that play, I think. And that's the difference between a disaster of a play and a big play. And that's kind of the NFL. So um, execution, number one, communication, certainly on the defensive side of the football. Nothing sexy. You're not changing schemes. You're not changing plans. God forbid if they change the play caller again, that would be dumb. Um, it's really at this stage focusing on, on what you do and, and, and doing it better uh, at this stage of the game. 
All right, John McMullen, Bird 365, uh, weekday mornings at 8 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, looking at uh, some of the things here. Obviously, the Eagles against the Blitz. That's going to be a big topic I'm imagining this week. Um, nah. Jalen Hurts, uh, five it's touchdowns, okay. eight interceptions against the Blitz, uh, eight turnovers. It's the most by any quarterback when he's been blitzed this season. Does Todd Bowles say, you know what? I just watched you, and here it comes again. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in the playoffs in 2021, he was the one that kind of exposed Jalen Hurts, uh, um, Todd Bowles, uh, and, and blitzing him. And then he, he struggled particularly when he would flush out to his left, and, and Jalen did a lot of work to improve on that, and he had the breakthrough season. But I think if you look at Jalen Hurts, you know, that's one of the narratives, and I, and I was going back and forth with Ryan amongst other people today because that's my pet peeve this week. I mean, the assumption that an NFL coach, any NFL coach, offensive coach, can't put in a hot read. Uh, it, you know, the worst offense, from the best offense to the worst offense, has hot reads. It's simple. It's not it's – not, it, it, I don't know why people think this is some kind of magic six. The quarterback is not good against the blitz. If you go back to 2020 in Indianapolis when Nick was the offensive uh, coordinator there, take a look at how Phillip Rivers handled the blitz. It was pretty stinking good. And he had uh, uh, quite a few hot reads. Uh, It was a strength of Phillip Rivers as a veteran quarterback, a very savvy quarterback. Um, And not a lot of people can do it like Phillip, by the way. Uh, even at that latter stage of his career. Right now, it's not a strength for Jalen Hurts. He struggles with it. He struggles to pull the trigger. Sometimes he struggles to recognize it. Now, the second part is then people talk in extremes. Like, he can't do this against the Blitz. He succeeds in the Blitz all the time. He just doesn't exceed enough. It's still uh, a part of his game that needs improvement. And if you want to criticize the coaching staff, I would say sometimes they lean too much on his ability to make plays off schedule and things like that. They really need to to hammer down his improvement uh, of understanding where it's coming from, understanding the football's got to come out quicker, understanding he's got to manipulate in the pocket better and, and instead of flushing immediately, all these types of things. And I think he's taking a step back this year. I really do. When you but watch the something off- that the Eagles can't put a hot route in their offense, come on, well, people. I, I, I'm not disputing or debating that with you, but I'm saying you got a seat up above so you can see it. Are you seeing that, or is he missing that? Well, it, I, at times he's missing it. That's what I'm asking. I, That's I mean, what I'm there saying. Was a, there is- was a play with, with Julio Jones, and inside he's not wide open, but – the ball's got to come out. The ball's got to come out immediately. You throw it on the back air of the blitz if that's the goal of the particular play. Now, a lot of times they built this offense to the strengths of, of Jalen Hurts. A lot of times they want to take advantage of the blitz and, and try to manipulate things with his ability to run the football and go in different directions. Uh, but the assumption that, you know, he's going to turn into Phillip Rivers well, that's not a good thing either, because then you're taken away from what Jalen does best. So you build around the strengths of your quarterback. And right now, that is not a strength of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's why 
there's not a ton of it right now in the Eagles offense. Now, Philip Rivers came out of retirement at age 42 or what he is right now. You'd see a whole bunch of it. You'd see a whole bunch of it. But guess what? You couldn't do the other stuff. And you couldn't convert the third and 20s by extending the plays or the, the great throw to Olamaze Zacchaeus that everybody points to. All that stuff goes away. There's strengths of quarterbacks. There's weaknesses. Right now, picking up the blitz and, and throwing quick answers and hot routes is not a strength of Jalen Hurts' game. Well, that's, so the what, Eagles, that's what I think You know, I'm trying to nail down with this conversation is the people are trying to blame the the coach that they don't have it in the in the offense, and you're saying it's there. The quarterback is missing it. Yeah, it's absurd. Think about how absurd that is. It's so simple. It's it's I, that's the part. Like a hot read is really difficult to put in the offense. It, it, it's not difficult. Every single NFL offense has the Eagles have it in. Jalen does it all the time. Some, some sometimes uh, less successfully than others, but a lot of times he's holding on to the football. I, I, you're talking about, and that's why I say everybody can go on Game Pass today, go look up 2020 in the film where he's the offensive coordinator, and and watch all the hot, hot routes galore, because that's the quarterback he had. Now, when he had Jacoby Brissett, not as much. When he had Andrew Luck, not as much. Because they couldn't do it at the level of Phillip Rivers. But to assume that you want to turn Jalen Hurts into some kind of West Coast, immediately get the football out of his hands, it's just not, it's it's silly. That's not what it's going to be. But everybody talks in those streams. It doesn't mean he can't improve at it, and he needs to improve at it. But it's never going to be a, a huge part of his game. Never. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and that's what I say. You're when you're at the stadium. One advantage is you can kind of see the routes being run a little bit better than we can on television. And are there times where there's something coming, and you're like, "Hey, there's the slot guy. He's five yards down the field. He's wide open. Just get it to him." Where there, a lot of times the hot guy is the tight end or the slot guy. Uh, but those plays are materialized that you can see that we can't really see on TV. Well, and, and a lot of times you need a sight adjustment by the receiver. So a lot of it, a lot goes into it, but what it isn't as far as an NFL offense is complicated. So my only, my only pet peeve with these people is this saying, well, Nick Sirianni can't put it in the office because he's overmatched. I mean, he's been in the NFL for how long? He won 24 of 26 games with this exact same quarterback. Uh, he did it at, at will with Phillip Rivers. What did he forget from 2020 to now? And then I was talking to a personnel guy. Well, Phillip's different. Well, of course he's different. That's not the point. The point is you take the strength of the quarterback you have. And right now, that's not a particular strength of Jalen Hurts. And then people jump down the route because I got them jumping down my throat. Well, you say Jalen Hurts can't do that. No, I said it's not a strength of his game. He does it all the time. He's just not as successful as he could be or should be because it's not a strength of his game. It doesn't mean he can't do it. 
it means exactly what I said. But, you know, Mike, people hear what they want to hear. Sure. I guess, you know, and to kind of, you know, fire back from the other side is to say, was this an issue last year? Why didn't it come yes. up? All right. You yes. know, it does. But it's isn't it weird, though? It seemed that there was almost no adversity with this team at all last year. Because they won. They won games. And when they were 10 and 1, they won games. Was it different? Did you see a whole lot of hot reads? I asked the fans, that, did you see a ton of them when they were 10 and 1? Uh, I mean, this I, particular I, season. Well, it's weird because this year, even at 10 and 1, I feel like people were complaining about the offense. Well, yeah, they were. Um, but I'll, I'll go back to last year. I'll go back to Jalen Hurts as a starter. There's not a ton of it. There's not a ton of it. Now, you know, people say, well, there hasn't been since Nick Sirianni's gotten here, which is technically correct. Okay, Again, it, it's based on the quarterback. Now, if, if the quarterback changes, it will change. Um, the quarterback hasn't changed. So, in a way, they're arguing against each other because they won so many games without those hot reads, and now it's the magic elixir to turn. By the way, this is the eighth-ranked offense in the NFL for the season. It's not a terrible offense. It's down from last year when it was number three. So it fell a little bit. And by the way, I think that has to do with the turnovers. If you take away, I think Jalen had six interceptions last year and maybe lost two fumbles. Uh, so tremendous ball security. Uh, and now he's got 20 turnovers, 15 picks and five fumbles. So those have more than doubled. You take, a, you take those uh, uh, turnovers out of the equation the offense is virtually the same. Virtually the same. Mm. Well, but it's funny you say you that. You can't because... say they were successful without it and now say they need it. It's just one of those things where people latch on to it. I don't know. Somebody said it and everyone latches on to it. He's not great at it. Yeah. And that's why they don't do a lot of it. Well, you know, you take a look at this offensive talent, and if you sat in a room and they all – tried to air out their grievances, you would say, how has this team struggled so much with the talent they have? And I don't know that there's one hypothesis that makes sense. Well, I think the hypothesis that makes sense is they haven't struggled that much. They have two 1,000-yard receivers again. They have a 1,000-yard running back again. They have five offensive linemen who are named either to the Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl alternates again, which is astonishing for the second straight season. Uh, Dallas Goddard take a, took a little bit of a step back, I would say, um, and that maybe is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I would argue, again, eighth-ranked offense, they haven't struggled that much offensively other than – the turnovers. Well, I think we could all agree. The turnovers are big, but I think we can all agree, even though the statistics and the numbers and the points per game, something doesn't look right. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think it's the same offense except for the turnovers. Um, they're, 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 they're different. Now, do they rely too much on off-schedule offense? Yes. But they did that last year as well. So... I mean, a lot of times 
they use the off-schedule stuff, I think, as a crutch. And they say, well, Jalen will just go make a play. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. Um, and I think, you know, maybe they need to stop using that so much as a crutch. But I, I don't see this great change from this year and last year other than the turnovers. And perhaps I would say Shane is a little bit better in the moment. He's got a better feel for big spots than than Brian Johnson. I think that's fair to say. But that's, you know, maybe maybe that comes with experience. Maybe it doesn't. All right, John McMullen, Birch 365. If I was to ask you um, about the defense, I mean, they've given up 27 touchdowns uh, through the air this year. They only have seven interceptions. Only the commanders uh, have been worse, and the commanders gave up over 500 points this year. Uh, they're going to face Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I mean, do you have any positivity to make this team defensively look like they can compete even against Tampa Bay? Uh, the positivity is t- the Tampa Bay offense is really bad. Um, you know, think about their perspective. I think, you know, they were in a situation when and you're in and they're playing two and 15 Carolina, two and 14 at the time. I think they had 220-something total yards of offense, 137 yards of passing offense. Um, they're not very good offensively. Uh, and you saw that in week three. That might have been the Eagles' best game of the year defensively. Um, they they completely shut down uh, Tampa. Now, they were playing a lot better at that point defensively. There, there's the difference um, between the Eagles this year and last year, uh, they have the 26th-ranked defense. They have the second-ranked defense last year, the number one-ranked passing defense. You know where they are passing defense-wise, giving up touchdowns. Third downs, terrible. They're terrible everything defensively. Uh, and last year, they were great. Um, that is the difference between this year's team and last year's team. Uh, completely, other than the turnovers, it's the other side of the football. It's defense. Yeah, defense, oh, defense. It's, it's not even close. You know, defensively, I, I said, I think most people can get on your side. Hey, the offense, I even said this before, when you jumped on is, you know, I figure they can figure out a way to score 24 points. I mean, that to me is, is the least of the problems. Even if you think the offense is clunky or whatever, I still think they can ass backwards themselves into 24 points with the talent. I just don't see how this defense can compete with the with what I, I don't know if it's schematically have the players just lost complete trust and faith in what's going on. Was there some sort of divide when they made the change, and that some of these players just didn't support the change? I don't know what it is, but this defense is one of the worst I've ever seen play these last four weeks, five, six weeks, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I think. And by the way, the mistake. fifth most penalties in the NFL over the last eight games, forty-eight. So they have a lot of problems with not only turnovers but also penalties that have hurt them on on offense. Yeah, I, I think they made a mistake um, making the change. I've been pretty honest about that. Not that Sean was doing a great job. I just uh, I don't think it does any good. Um, and you've seen, if anything, the communication issues have. Have have risen. They've not receded uh, with the change to Matt Patricia, and that's because you have a different play caller and mm-hmm. different 
different tweaks and trying to do different things. And usually even, you know, from the best defense down to the worst defense, you usually see incremental improvement throughout the season when it comes to communication. Um, it might not matter that much with the worst defense, but they get slightly better. Here it's gotten worse. And I, I can only point to that change, which I, I think was a panic move. And I think for the people that dislike Nick Sirianni, I would focus on that more than hot routes because that was a bad decision by the head coach, um, or at least it's blamed on the head coach. If you're in the Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie's ordering at camp, then you should blame it on them. Um, but that either way, it was a, very bad decision. And yeah, I, I can see a path for the Eagles to flip the switch offensively. I, I can argue, just as I said, well, they got great receivers. Uh, you know, we'll see how healthy Devontae is. AJ's going to play. Um, they have a, a playmaking quarterback, they have a thousand yard rusher. I mentioned the offensive line. Defensively, I, I can't see a path. I can't see a path. I guess. Jalen Hurts maybe wrecking a game. Jalen Carter, excuse me, wrecking a game. Um, but that, you know, he hasn't done much in the second half of the season, whether he's hit the rookie wall or not. Slay coming back will help a little bit, but there's going to be some rust there. It's really hard to sense any kind of optimism defensively. Yeah, I, I totally am on board. Uh, with that, um, we'll see. Uh, quickly, I, I know they didn't practice it today, and uh, they won't well, tomorrow, but any gut feeling on A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, uh, I guess Cam Jurgens has the ice situation. Any any feeling on those guys? Yeah, I, I well, A.J. was he, – he looked fine um, in the locker room. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be fine. We still have to see with Devonta because that was – it looked pretty serious when he got hurt against Arizona. Now he had ditched the walking boot and the crutches by, by last week when he was in the locker room, but obviously he didn't practice at all. So I'm, I'm more concerned with him. The other injuries, Reed Blankenship, throw him in there with a groin. Cam, you mentioned with the eye. Uh, I forget there was another one. Those I think were more precautionary in the fact that, you know, by that point they knew it was over. They weren't going to get the number two seed. They kind of just took him out of the game. Landon Dickerson went in the injury tent at some point, but he came in and was playing center. Uh, all those guys, I think, are going to be fine. Uh, Devontae still a little concerned with, and I'll know better on um, Thursday. Thursday. If he practices Thursday, and it's going to be a walkthrough, so it's going to be estimated, but um, that'll be a good sign if he's back on, on Thursday. Uh, John McMullen, everybody, Birds 365, weekday mornings, 8 a.m. on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You can uh, check out the show with John and Jody Mack and, of course, right here on the Sports Bash Live. And Mike Taylor, you'll be there at 820. I'm booking you on air. I'm always booked right on the air, right here. You'll hear me tomorrow morning at 820. So you get to hear when I'm alert. My thoughts, and then when I'm half asleep. Now, I'm usually pretty awake by that time in the morning. All right, buddy, I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. All right, thanks, Mike.
John McMullen, everybody. Uh, great to have him a part of the show. As always, very plugged in. And, of course, uh, you can hear him right here on the Sports Bash. Uh, we'll have updates tomorrow. I want to get more on the defensive side of the ball. We kind of plugged in on the offense today uh, and his thoughts on the blitz because I bring up the blitz, and it's a fair thing to bring up. I don't think that it is discounted at how bad they have been recently. Uh, but, as he said, that's been a problem for Jalen Hurts, uh, not only this year but last year in teams uh, last year didn't get the chance to do it as much the Eagles you know when the Eagles play from ahead they're a lot different team now you could say well the Arizona game they were ahead and they still figured out a way to lose that game totally 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 fair they just haven't played well period the last couple weeks but I think when that 10 and 1 some of the games they came from behind to win but some of the games where they've had their best games their most complete games where their defense has played well is when they run the ball and then you get the lead, and then you can run the ball because you have the lead. But the one number against the Blitz, Jalen Hurts has struggled. He has five touchdowns, eight interceptions. The pressure is has been something where he is forcing things, and it gets him out of the pocket. And I think he has played poorly when he has been on the move this year. That offense constantly looks like, hey, push him out of the pop- pocket, get him to move to one direction. And then you're looking at a situation where he basically is just running towards the sideline and just kind of firing something up a sideline. That's what it's looked like for the last five weeks. Good stuff from John. Hey, Kevin Durso, what happened with Cutter, Cutter Gaudier? They traded him in the middle of the game last night before he ever stepped on the ice for the Flyers. How big of a deal and how this all happened, that's coming up next. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's Gil. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 334 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Thanks to John McMullen. He, of course, was brought to you by the Gallery Bar Booking Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Go to the Gallery, go to Ocean, go over the win. For more, visit Ocean ac.com gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER Flyers back in action tomorrow night against the Canadiens but last night they made some big news off the ice during the game they made a trade it was a pretty major trade it was a player who's never actually stepped on the ice for the Flyers why is he no longer here Kevin Durso was at the game last night covering it for 973espn.com and he joins us now to give us some insight on what happened last night as the Flyers were playing the Penguins in the middle of the first period. A trade happened, Kevin. I texted you when you said it is chaos up here. Uh, Cutter Gautier gets traded in the middle of the period, and um, everybody wants to know what happened. So what did you find out um, as the dust has kind of settled at why their top prospect got traded in the middle of the first period last night? Simply put, he wasn't going to sign. And because he wasn't going to sign, this was the course of action. Danny Briere, when he spoke after the first period, was very transparent about this. He really detailed everything and kind of the timeline for when things started to go south in this whole process and when everything kind of fell apart for this potential of a, of a deal to be in place at some point down the road. And it really came kind of came to a head after World Championships last May that's when the Flyers were informed that Gautier was no longer interested in signing with them. And what the Flyers did at that moment, what Briere said that they did, was really kind of took a step back, gave him some space. He had said when he was drafted that he felt like he was born to be a Flyer, he wanted to be a Flyer, and now he had a change of heart. So 
what happens if he changes his mind again and now later on says, I want to play for the Flyers again? They didn't want word of that getting out so that the fan base finds out he's not invested in being a Flyer and then changes his mind. So they were protecting him from that. And as it went along, they kept trying to make contact with him, kept trying to see if there's a way that they could talk to him and kind of give their intentions of where everything was going, explain what their process was and all of that kind of stuff. And Gautier would not communicate with them and his camp would not communicate with them. They could not get a hold of him. As recently as last week at the World Junior Championships when where Gautier was playing with Team USA, both Briere and Keith Jones took a trip to Sweden last week to try to get in touch with Gautier one last time. And even then, he would not communicate with them. He did not take a meeting. They could not discuss it. They wanted to lay out more about their plan. They wanted to lay out more about how things were going, how the team looked this year, how they were going to move forward, how everything kind of has felt like it's kind of changing as it goes along, that things are in the process of being rebuilt and kind of on the fly right now. And nothing ever, they nothing happened, as Briere said. Nothing happened with that. So taking so basically the next question was why now because Gautier was basically the star of that tournament he didn't even have really the best tournament in terms of his typical performance he's more of a goal scorer he only had two goals in the tournament but he tied for the tournament lead with 12 points and kind of feeling like this might be as good as things get they're kind of playing in a race against time for how long they have before word gets out beyond just the teams they were communicating with and it becomes real public knowledge. He doesn't want to sign. The only thing that could happen is a trade, which is going to diminish the value exponentially. Let's do this now while we have a player on the table that they like and they feel like is fair value to what they want to get in return now felt like the right time because they felt his value would never be higher and they went ahead and made the trade. All right, so you're in the press box last night. When this news comes down, I mean, is it shocking news? Are people like, ho-hum, we saw this coming? Um, Give us a little bit of background on just how under the rug this was. This doesn't happen very often in terms of where a trade is made and there's not a, a hint of speculation towards it. That's not to say that there weren't rumors out there that there might be some you know some kind of a disagreement between Gautier and the Flyers on the timeline but sometimes those things work themselves out especially with a college player basically most of the time when it comes to these situations college players usually only go one avenue or the other which is eventually sign anyway or hold out for the duration of their college career and then become free agents and go anywhere. You don't typically see a college player's rights traded because of something like this while they're still in their sophomore season, no less. So there was, as much as there were rumors about that kind of disagreement, there was no indication and nobody had a premeditated report, no, no national guy, nothing like that, had a premeditated report that the trade was even close to happening. It just flat out came out. The two teams announced it on social media, and it's five minutes into the Flyers game that night. Just came from out of nowhere. So initially, yes, shock for sure. But as you kind of watch the dust settle, and, as, and basically the first thought was, the only plausible scenario here is that he won't sign. Otherwise, so basically you guys find out on... You're sitting there watching the game from the press box and you see it on Twitter? Basically, exactly. And the team did issue like a press release right at about the same time. Those usually go out at about the same time that the tweet would go out. But 
full disclosure, I mean, I saw the thing pop up. It looked fake because of the fact that you know how things are on social media. People fabricate things all the time. They create graphics that look real but aren't coming from a credible place. You didn't even, like, that's how out of nowhere it was. And it looked, based on the return, it looked real, really legit. It was like, this could be real, but it can't well, be, I, right? Listen, like, this is out of nowhere. And I am not a nightly Flyers viewer. I just happened to turn it on at the exact moment that JJ says, and, you know, the Flyers have made a pretty interesting move. We'll get to that in a second. And I'm thinking, what could they have potentially done that was so interesting? Like, you know, Carter Hart's playing goal in the middle of the game. You can't trade him while he's in the crease. You know, like any player that's actually on the ice, I would doubt that you're going to trade him while he's in the middle of the game. So anything they could have done that would have been so surprising that you would have brought it up in the middle of the broadcast – I said, I've got to go. So I went to social media, and as soon as I put went to the Flyers' Twitter account, I saw the trade, and then about 30 <laughs> seconds later, he did announce what happened. They showed the video. I don't know if you saw this. They showed video of Jonesy and Briere in their seats, wherever they sit in the press box right up there to the right of you guys, and Briere is turned around looking at the television of the <laughs> trade up on the screen and you're like this is bizarre man and then i guess it was so much so that they had to get briere right in the press box to go talk to you guys yeah about it was probably within five minutes of seeing everything and confirming it obviously because i mean the teams confirmed it but that we had pr basically running behind us saying first intermission danny briere's talking (laughs) and and most of us i mean at that point in time and i put this in the story that i put up today the game became secondary at that point. Sure. I, you know, like, yeah, it was 2-1 Pittsburgh at the end of the first period, and I saw the goals as they happened, but for the most of the period, I would couldn't be able to tell you what happened because everything was focused on getting the details of the trade, trying to construct a story, preparing to go talk to Danny Briere, and and all of that kind of thing. So it, the game was totally secondary, and, and it's interesting, too, because, like, you're looking at this game situation, and you settle, you're settling in for a game that's just getting started. It's a divisional matchup, Battle of Pennsylvania. Both teams are kind of relevant in the playoff picture right now at this given moment. The season's nearly halfway over. It's It was really going to be a compelling matchup going in, and the game became totally a footnote after the trade happened. Uh, Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider from 97.3 ESPN.com. Now, there are plenty of theories as to why he doesn't want to play in Philadelphia. Uh, are any of them substantial enough for you to feel like this is why he got traded last night? The only one that I feel like really has legs is the timeline at which I think Gauthier thought maybe he would sign. Because I think the intention was, and Gauthier kind of seemed like it was weighing the idea of playing his freshman year at Boston College and then turning pro, signing an entry-level contract, and basically feeling like he was going to be able to compete for a spot on the Flyers roster this year. And the Flyers kind of pushed back on that a little bit, kind of suggested he go back to school for another year. And... I believe that part of the reason for that is because after they drafted Matvey Mishkov this past June in the draft, it lined some things up. You're now, let's let's remember, at the time that he's basically playing in world championships, that's about the same time all of the front office changes happened. They announced jo- Keith Jones getting hired. They announced Danny Briere as the GM. They have the big New Era press conference. They basically go public with the rebuild. And then a month later, they've got this prospect who has a timeline attached to him. Three-year contract playing in Russia, so there's a patience element involved. 
and maybe delaying the signing of Gauthier by just one more season, it would put both of those guys on entry-level contracts at the same time and could allow them in three years' time, if both of them are on the roster, to maximize the rest of the offseason and maybe go really hard on being a contender at that time, sign free agents, take the and make, basically make it a three-year window of rebuilding, gathering assets, doing all the things you should as a rebuilder, and then make it go time for turning the thing around the other direction. And I think Gauthier wanted a sooner response. I think he wanted to play sooner as a professional and didn't like it. And I don't know what happened in between that, but that's the only one I think really has legs. There's a lot of other theories. There's the Kevin Hayes angle of the theory, which is the BC connection. And then Hayes, obviously it didn't end well in Philadelphia. There's the possibility that he didn't want to play for John Tortorella. There's, there's another rumor going around that he didn't like that Briere was a rookie GM, which I don't think has any legs either. He's literally going to a team that has a GM who's in his second year with the team that he's with. It's, so that doesn't add up. And th there's a lot of theories. And ultimately, here's the bottom line. Only Cutter Gauthier and those closest to Cutter Gauthier know the real reason. That was the only thing that Danny Briere couldn't answer last night was why they don't know either they couldn't get to him to find out what the reasoning was they wanted to he would not meet with them for any reason and really at this point doing all the theories and all that type of stuff becomes null and void because it's one thing if it came out and it's why doesn't cutter Gautier want to play for the flyers the question we're really asking today is why didn't he want to play for the flyers this is past tense he's gone so as far as i'm concerned the flyers are trying to move on from it and most people I know it's hard to do in the immediate aftermath within 24 hours of it, but eventually move on from it and focus on the other side. That's the way that the team really wanted to look at it after it happened. All right. Uh, our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso, who was there last night. What do we know about what they're getting in return? Because you don't see this too often. Two players under 22 years old getting swapped for each other. This is the former number five pick in uh, Cutter Gauthier for the former number six overall pick. So it's not like they got some journeyman defenseman. What do we know about Jamie Drysdale? Uh, the first thing that stands out about him when he plays, he's a great skater. And that really matters as a defenseman to have that mobility, to be a guy who can move the puck effectively he's got all of those qualities he's coming from coming from anaheim he's played a different defensive style he you know they talked about this a little bit today that in anaheim he would have played more man-to-man -man and the flyers tend to play a more of a zone defense when they're in the zone and that is going to be a bit of an adjustment process for him and the main thing about Jamie Drysdale at this point is, is that to this point in his career, he was a highly touted defenseman in his draft year and, and all of that and, and turned pro effective immediately. He was playing games as an 18 year old. He played as an 18 year old during that weird COVID season where they only played 56 games in, in the NHL and they were only playing interdivision. He played about half the season in the NHL, half in the AHL, and then went to the NHL for good the next year, played 81 out of 82 games, had 32 points in essentially his first full season, looked really good. And it looked like he was going to take another step with that as the years followed. Two seasons ago, he played eight games, suffered a season-ending shoulder injury, was done for the rest of the year. This year, he came into camp. There was a bit of a contract thing that prevented him from being in camp right away. Then he comes into camp. He played two games to start the season. He's injured again. He missed about two months with a lower body injury. So he's been battling injuries throughout the course of his career, and that's really been the biggest hurdle. He's got top-pairing potential. He's already going to probably slot in on this team in the top four of their defensive their defensive lineup as it is. 
he's got top pairing potential, and that would solve a huge problem for the Flyers moving forward. But there's always risk to these things. He's gone through injuries, and if it doesn't pan out because of injury or because he never reaches that ceiling, that could be detrimental to the rebuild. But if they get something Mm. that they desperately needed, a top pairing defenseman, which he has the potential to be, and he's only 21, and he's going to work with Tortorella and and especially associate coach Brad Shaw, who's been kind of a defensive coaching dynamo with this team right now with what he's done with Travis Sanheim and Cam York, Igor Zamula, Rasmus Ristolainen's look better. He's really turned around a lot of players this year. And if he can do that with Drysdale, that would be huge for the Flyers moving forward and could really keep the rebuild on track despite trading away their top forward prospect at the moment. Well, uh, Drysdale found out about the trade. He was in Nashville. He flew out of Nashville at 545 this morning. He was in Philly this morning. The last time the Flyers got a defenseman from Nashville didn't go so well. No, it didn't. And that's kind of and that's kind of the fear, honestly. Right. Like you look at those situations and, and you and you think about the possibility of what if it turns into another one of these situations. And I think that's the other you know, we talked about the shock factor of the trade happening. It's. It was, you know, after shock, it's disappointment that Gautier didn't want to be a flyer and frustration because it kind of becomes a here we go again situation. It, it's it's like revisiting Nolan Patrick and what happened with Nolan Patrick and how it never panned out. And then trading Nolan Patrick, getting something that you thought was going to solve a problem like Ryan Ellis, that not panning out or this, you know, this or that or the other. You know, there's a whole lot of these cases with the flyers lately over the years. So. Because of that, it does. There's that's the element of frustration that comes with it. That this feels like it's happened again. Now the Flyers can solve that problem if Drysdale pans out, but if it doesn't, hmm. it's going to be another kind of mark on the way that this franchise has kind of had tough luck with certain players over the last several years. Uh, he is Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider, and of course you can read more of him at 973ESPN.com. Flyers and Canadians tomorrow night, and uh, Wild on Friday, Jets on Saturday, so they are busy the rest of the week. That means Kevin is busy the rest of the week. Kevin Durso, appreciate you, bud. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, a trade of that magnitude. Kevin Durso here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Ten minutes from football at four. That's coming up. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for football at four with Adam Kaplan. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Adam Kaplan's here today. He's co-host of the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can find on any podcasting platform or on their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds, an Eagles loss to the Giants, a very disheartening loss because of the way that that loss went down, some of the injuries that occurred uh, in the loss as well. And Adam Kaplan is here. Is this a collapse? And can they regain what they had going when they had a 10-1 and mark to start the season. Let's bring him in. Adam Kaplan is with us here on another edition of Football at Four. What's going on, Adam? Mike, good to talk to you. You know what's interesting? This just happened. and I don't, We usually don't talk about point spreads, and I don't understand this at all. I was actually talking about this on Sports Grid yesterday with Scott Farrell, but the line over the last couple hours went from Eagles 2.5 to Eagles minus 3. With all of the injury issues the Eagles have and how badly they've play, been playing, we'll get into that, why would the line move? So the money is clearly coming on the Eagles because you know how Vegas, you know how the linesmakers do it. They 
if the money's coming too heavy on the Eagles, they're going to get they're going to make them a bigger favorite to to line up money on the other side, so they don't get so the books don't get taken. That does surprise me a little bit. Yeah, I know a lot of people seem to be surprised that they were even the favorites in this game, but I think that mm-hmm. gives you a little regional recency bias of how down Eagle fans are on this team is the fact that they opened up as a favorite, and here they are up to three points now. But the way they're playing is certainly yep. uh, justifiable. They lose again as the injuries pile up. They've lost now five out of six. They finish this season at 11-6, and six, but they go into the playoffs, but... Do you look at this team as a total collapse and just completely uh, un, uh, unable to rebound, or do they just have the ups and downs of a roller coaster eighteen week seasons, and their downs just all happened at the same time? Yeah, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the best way to evaluate it. So, coaches that I've talked to for decades now, they look at each season in quarters. Well, in the final four games, and we know they play a seventeen game season over eighteen weeks. Over the final four games, they were one and three. The the bad loss at Seattle, where they 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 blew that game. They barely beat the Giants. You, you know what happened? The craziness of the early in the second half. They had the worst game in decades, biggest one of the biggest collapses in in, in, in the last thirty years against Arizona. And yeah, they had injuries, suffered. Some are significant, some are disappointing, some are worrisome. And then they just they look bad before they really look bad for the guys who played and. The other thing which which we can address, I didn't have in my notes, but I'd like to address is the oddness of the rotations and the, the decision to rest Fletcher Cox, but yet play starters. I mean, I know you can't rest everyone, but they, they the way they line up their roster, Mike, for that game against the Giants, they clearly looked like they were trying to win, but yet you rested Fletcher Cox. I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, I, I, I was an advocate of just... And, and look, doesn't mean I'm right. It's just my opinion that I, I probably would have sat most of the key players, especially the yeah. older guys. And I thought the fact of the matter was this. Dallas was not going to lose the game. Um, and by the way, you should have been competitive. with. The, and by the way, you were competitive with the backups. They actually played better with the second unit in the second half of that game. But regardless, I thought... Adam, them just getting away from the game for a week, watching from the sideline, getting their minds and, and bodies back to 100%, and taking your best swing at this. There was nothing to gain from winning that game 38-3 to or whatever you were, were hoping yeah. to accomplish. And the other thing, they didn't know that their game would be on Monday. I, I was talking to someone with the Eagles. They, they had no idea it would be scheduled at Tampa on Monday. But that's just plays into your point. Like, if you knew that you had extra time, yeah, you, you, or just... If you were going to just say, you know what, let's let's just let's just get to the game healthy, which is the way Andy Reid, by the way, used to do it. I remember I asked him when he was here in Philly about his philosophy of resting players. He said he always would say it was my job to get the players to the next game, which means I'm going to rest players. And now he hasn't always done that in Kansas City, which is interesting. He did that this year, but not always in years past with the Chiefs. But you know, overall, Mike, it. It's just been an absolute disaster. I mean, let's call it a collapse. I think that's probably the best way to phrase it. It's been a collapse. We'll talk more on, on, on Friday's segment about the matchups against the Bucks. but the Bucks' offense has looked bad the last two weeks. It's, it's, a lot of it has to do with Baker Mayfield and his, his ribs injury. There's no question they were awful on offense last week against a very competitive uh, Carolina defense. And, then, and two weeks ago, Baker Mayfield had less than 50 yards against the Saints, and then he went off in the second half, but they still got smoked. 
It's a very winnable game, but again, we're going to talk Friday more yeah. about that matchup. Uh, listen, at this point, I think if anybody thinks now, most people just have given up. I don't think people think that they can, even if they win this game, Sounds it's, like, oh, well, they're going to get pounded by San Francisco sure, or Dallas. Sure. But can their offense carry this team? Can this offense, you know, I talked about this in the open, Adam. You know, the year that they won the Super Bowl, the last two weeks of the year, I mean, Nick Foles was dreadful. They scored 19 points in a game against the Raiders, and people wanted to find another quarterback. And on that playoff (laughs) game against Atlanta, they only scored 15 points and won that game. And then all of a sudden, their offense got hot. They scored 38, then 41. Um, But can their offense catch fire and be one of those units that, that carries them? All right, so I want to go back. I didn't know you were going to mention this, but I do want to give some people some intel. Because, so, you know, we have John Filippo on. Still with us, by the way. He's good. We're taping our weekly interview with John tomorrow. He, he's coaching in USFL. He's a head coach. He got his contract renewed. Nice. But we, he, he still agreed that he's going to be with us as long as he can, and, and we're, we're going to be with him tomorrow. And John, throughout the season, he's given us so many anecdotes and stories we didn't know about about that 17 team. We actually brought it up, Mike, as you did. So, you know, obviously, Wentz gets hurt. Full starts the game with the Giants. He has four touchdowns. He was terrible against the Raiders that Monday night game on Christmas, if you remember. Uh, week 16 and week 17, remember, this is before the 18-week season. Week 17, awful. Now, Frank Reich, we're told, actually cold plays that game. I, I want to ask John if that's true. That's what I heard. He would know, but it, it was a disaster. They got shut out at home. And as you know, they barely beat the Falcons with Julio Jones, almost hurting the Eagles fan. That feeling's there, but... Bottom line is, Mike, as we fast forward six years later, you just don't get the great feeling. I, I, our job is to be impartial and inside the birds. That's why we created the platform six years ago, to call everything down down the line here. But just the senses, I don't sense a ton of confidence. You, you could tell. You, you could just tell from talking to people. They don't quite understand why things have fallen off here with the Eagles. We all see it. Defense has collapsed. The, the, the dubious decision to, to change defensive play callers. Matt Patricia is running a lot more of a scheme than we thought he would, which is not a good decision. That's actually a bad decision. You shouldn't do that. You, should, you could run your own stuff in the offseason. You can't really do a lot of that in the in-season. And then offensively, Mike, they've not been consistent. So to answer your question, as we move on to the next subject, no, the offense has not shown the ability to carry the team like they did in 17. No, and their defense has been abysmal. Um, they played their most complete offensive game, excuse me, defensive game maybe against the, well, both, really. Offensively, they ran the ball 40 times for 200 yards uh, in week three against Tampa Bay, and their defense only gave up 11 points. I mean, you go back to week three, think about it. The Phillies were still playing regular season foot, uh, baseball games uh, was the last time that you maybe had a complete game on both offense and defense. But the big thing is, Tampa Bay only had the ball for 20 minutes in that game. I guess the best recipe is to keep your defense off the field. But to do so, they're going to need to be healthy. They got Jalen Hurts. They got A.J. Brown. They got Devonta Smith. They got Cam Jurgens. So let's start with the offensive injury issues. All right, so Hurts will play with the dislocated finger. The, the issue with him is how well he's going to throw the football. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You could tape it up, uh, but, you know, you got to be able to drive the football. So I know reporters get to see the first 15 to 20 minutes. That's all they get. You know, Mike, when I first started covering the league, Andy Reid would let us watch all of practice. Then Andy would eventually shut us down. That's another story for another time. But So the reporters aren't going to be able to see a lot of Jalen, but they'll be able to see some. My sense is A.J. Brown should be able to play. It's not a lock. But they escaped something bad. By the way, it's his right knee. 
We'll learn more later this week. And, Mike, they don't practice until Thursday. The practice week for a Monday night game is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Devontae Smith with the ankle, he was held out. He didn't even practice last week. All indications are that he'll be able to play. I don't know anything about the Cam Jurgens eye injury. I, I don't really know much about it. I don't know if he, if the game meant anything, could he have been cleared to play? I don't know that. We'll, we'll know more uh, later this week. Darius Slay, I mean, what we talked about in Inside the Birds when we heard about this, I still believe it's true. They expected him to play. But, Mike, a little nugget for you. Why did he not practice Friday? He worked thir- Wednesday and Thursday. This past Friday he did not practice. Now, was this planned because they knew he wasn't going to play? Maybe so. We don't know. We know about Sidney Brown's ACL injury. That sucks. He, he really showed something, Mike. It's just, it's just awful. Uh, you, you don't even know if he'll be ready for the start of next season. Hopefully, though, that it's a clean ACL reconstruction, that there's no other uh, associated issues with it. Reed Blankenship's groin injury, we don't know the severity of it. People could say, oh, it looks like he'll play. I, I don't know that. I looked into it. Uh, the person I spoke with said, talk to me later this week, so we're going to look into it. Uh, but, man, just think about it, Mike. With Sidney Brown out for the season, Justin Evans out for the season, it's Kevin Byard and Tristan McCollum was on the practice squad if Reed Blankenship could not play. I thought McCollum actually played pretty well. He was he was one guy that was all over the place uh, when he got his opportunity. Uh, he's pretty small, though. I guess that would be one of the issues well, for him. One. Yeah. But, you know, his brother is, a, is the third corner for the Bucks, Zion. Oh, pretty cool that they get to face off here in uh, at a playoff game. Uh, Blankenship, yeah, groin. We saw that play happen in the end zone on the, what was that, on the interception, right? I don't remember the exact play, Mike, but he's just got to be able to run. See, that's the why I'm not willing to put the thumbs up. He's got to be able to run. Now, I, I'll give you a lo- another nugget. If the guys – I know the way it works with coaches in the playoffs. If the guy could get out there and be limited, almost certain to play. If he can't, then you're concerned. So if all these guys we mentioned, other than, of course, City Brown, could work, they're, they're going to play. I mean, that's just – there's no tomorrow you play. It, it's extremely rare for a player to even to be limited – but not getting clear to play. That's just the way it goes in the playoffs. Not so in the regular season, but in the playoffs when you're one game away having your season ended, uh, you would almost always expect these guys to play. Uh, Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast here on Football at Four. Uh, Buccaneers, as we mentioned, uh, 25-11, week three, ran the ball 200 yards. I remember that game pretty vividly because going into that game, it was, well, they got this great run defense, Vita Vea, and they went for 200 yards. Does Nick Sirianni uh, bring his inner 2021 back and say, you know what, let's just run the ball again? Well, a couple nuggets for you. Carlton Davis, who's their top corner, he didn't play in that game due to injury. Vita Vea, I'm told, had a calf Injury. It was lower body. I believe it was a calf. He played hurt in that game. Did not play well. Kalijah Kansi, their outstanding rookie, a first round pick, did not play in that game. I'm not. I don't want to take anything away from the Eagles because they were awesome. By the way, Mike, it was not just offense. Their defense dominated. Baker Mayfield looked terrible. They pressured him. See, this is the craziness of the Sean Desai situation. Their defense was really good for a while, and we know it dropped off. It started to drop off, no doubt. And now it's now it's collapsed, and it's an embarrassment. But this defense crushed the Bucks. They couldn't do anything, Mike. And the Eagles, by the way, never trailed in that game at Tampa where they won 25-11. to Yeah, they, that was, I don't know for about you, but that might be the most complete and dominant performance. They, that or Miami, right? One of those two games. Well, Miami was a little different. Now, Miami did not have Xavier Howard in that game, their best corner. Uh, they, they came in very banged up, but, and that was in Philly. This game, I agree with you, Mike. 
sure, they ran the ball well. Now, I give them credit for staying with it. Coaches in today's NFL, typically, if you're not a run team, you're not going to stay with it. The Eagles will always be a passing team uh, with this personnel and this owner. But, hey, look, they ran it well. Swift ran for over uh, 100. He looked great. Um, This is before Hurts got hurt, by the way. He had 10 rushes in that game. And game out 14 carries, but they ran for over 200 yards. And, by the way, it's not like they didn't have any explosive plays. A.J. Brown went off in that game for 9 for 131. So, and Zacchaeus had that really nice touchdown, remember, on the scramble drill. This is a great performance, Mike. You're right. This is a complete performance on both sides of the football. Yeah, I think that was the first game of Brown's uh, streak of uh, of 125 or more yards. I mean, that game started it. He went oh, yeah. from 131, 175, 127, 131, 137, and 130, uh, and we haven't really seen. He had 114 against San Francisco, but he really has not had anything close to those weeks. You're going back to week seven where he really – because the game he had 114 was against San Francisco, so not a huge impact. So he has not had an impactful uh, second half of the season, not nearly as as much as he did in the first half. Yeah, and that's that's sort of like the like people in Buffalo talk about what happened to Stefan Diggs the last two and a half months. Though he did well in the, the the game against Miami this past weekend, but he had been quiet for over two months. I don't have a great answer for you, Mike. This is something that um, has been mind-boggling how his numbers have gone down here. I, I know Hurts does not play well. I'm not. I'm not. A, <laughs> I know it's Alvin Hurts from it. He's a big part of it. But the coaches have to do a better job of getting this guy open. With, with they run certain they run certain plays that have always worked, Mike, and and we'll have an off season self scout for the Eagles. It'll be extensive. One of the things I will tell you is there's certain things that are unstoppable with AJ Brown. The, the bang a play, which is the the slant over the middle, where you he you get him going forward, and with his body you can't he shields off the defender. This is the Titans play that they ran so well for for years with him. I don't know why they're not doing more of that. Every once in a while they run it, but. No one could stop A.J. Brown when he's going forward in the open field because he's just too strong. They, they have to figure it out with him. And here's the thing about Tampa Bay. Their defense has gotten better lately, no doubt. But it's nowhere near where they thought it would be. It's competitive, but it's beatable. There are plays to be made. And, and look, they, they found them week, in the first match in Week 3. I know Carlton Davis did not play their best quarter, but he's back. And from what I understand, the early word of the Bucks injuries is they're relatively healthy. It's going to be tough. And I, I'm telling you, folks, Eagles should not be a favorite. My personal line would have been the Bucks minus two. So if you like the Bucks, take the money line right now. There you go. Adam Kaplan uh, from the Inside the Birds podcast. And they'll have more this week. And, of course, we'll have more on football at four. Jeff's here tomorrow. Andrew on Thursday. Adam's back on Friday. Well, we'll take a closer look at some of the matchups that could really make or break this wild card, super wild card matchup, which is <laughs> Monday night right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Adam. Appreciate you, pal. Sounds good. See ya. Adam Kaplan, everybody, here on Football at Four. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. I got um, a couple thoughts on where the Eagles can kind of improve on the offensive side of the ball when you're looking back there. It's, can I get Brown more involved, right? 131. 175, 127, 131, 137, 130. They were his totals in that stretch there. He had 99 against Kansas City. He had 114 against San Francisco. He had 94. I mean, so it's not like he's been terrible, but can they get him to kind of be the, I don't want to say the focal point, but really get back to where 
he has become the guy that takes so much attention away and that maybe that can open some things up elsewhere around that offense because I think if the offense can get some positivity going and sustain drives. See, one of the problems has been, I think, offensively is their offense has been such a problem in terms of extending drives. I'm not asking you to score 40 points, but can you extend a drive, get a first down, keep the defense off the field, and just by keeping that defense off the field, so many times we keep looking at the end result of these games and you're thinking, man, this defense was terrible. And then you're asking, why is the defense so bad? Well, they're on the field so damn much. The This reminds me of like the Chip Kelly years where the defense was bad, but then they were even worse because they were just out there all the time because the offense was moving so fast. And when they were moving fast, you remember they weren't huddling. And then that last year, not only were they moving fast, they're not huddling, they stunk. So they're moving fast, and they're not getting any yardage, so then they're punting. And then Billy Davis's defense was coming back on the field, and it was bad. Last week against the Giants, who stink, Giants are on the field, you know, the defense is on the field for 33 minutes in the game. And, like, you know, I don't want to see the Eagles' defense for 33 minutes. If you think that's bad, go to the week before. I mean, what's worse than being on the field for 33 minutes is watching that defense play for 39 minutes against Arizona. They've got to do a better job. And if that means A.J. Brown and keeping the chains moving, and even if that doesn't mean you're scoring 35, 40 points, can I score 24 but long, sustained drives in the game? That would go a long way to possibly moving them in the right direction Maybe even if just a little bit. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. The text board is open. You can jump on board there. We got sound of the day coming up. Mike Missinelli in 40 minutes from now. You know, Mike's covered the NFL for a long time. Has he ever seen a Eagles team entering the playoffs with such negative vibes around it? You know, no, normally you make the playoffs – and there's different levels of you getting in the playoffs. You know, 2019, when they got in the playoffs, they had won four straight games. They lost that game to Miami. It's a game we reference a lot. They lost the game to Miami, and everybody said, this team stinks. I can't believe in you. If you lose to Miami, how am I supposed to believe in you? Well, then they won four straight games to get to the playoffs, and then they became the team that nobody wanted to face, and they bowed out quickly. But at least they had won four games in a row and you felt some positivity going into the playoffs. I can't remember an Eagles team that made the playoffs and had less anticipation. And I'm talking about lesser teams. But teams that, I mean, I'm talking about teams with lesser records. Teams that maybe you didn't believe in nearly as much but you still had excitement for them to get ready for the playoffs and that maybe they can knock off somebody and get to a spot in the playoffs that you didn't think. Doesn't feel that way with this team. All right, coming up, we got sound of the day here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Give it up. 
429 Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. This hour of the show is brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, and AC. Broadleys is your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or visit them at broadleys.net. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash Sound of the Day. Take a look at some of the uh, best sound from around the sports world. It's brought to you by Boardwalk On. The football season's back, and it's now the playoffs. They're giving you a chance to score big for the playoffs. Shop online at BoardwalkHonda.com. And remember, from Maine to Miami, nobody beats a Boardwalk deal. Josh Henning is my producer, and he has today's sound of the day. Yeah, we got a little variety pack for the folks. Let's start with uh, ESPN radio host Freddie Coleman. He asked a question about the Eagles and the state of the team moving forward because, you know, we've all been asking our own questions about the Eagles. And, you know, Freddie took it maybe a little step further when he brought up the Eagles on his ESPN radio show. I'm a big fan and I respect the Philadelphia Eagles. I respect their coach. I respect their quarterback. I respect their culture. I wonder how much of their mental manhood was taken away by the San Francisco 49ers. Because if you're going to, like Jimmy Johnson said, if you're going to talk that talk, you better walk that walk. 49ers went in there, gave that night in Philadelphia and stomped all over them. They haven't been right since. Not just physically, but that mental toughness, that mental bullishness, I wonder how much of that game was taken away from that team that has gone 1-5 and five ever since starting 10-1. and one. Uh, I would have to say there has to be something behind that. I thought that week when they played the Niners that they had that stretch of games where it was like Dallas, the Niners, Buffalo, Kansas City, and it was a really tough stretch. And my hypothesis before that stretch was they'll beat the Niners. They might lose to Kansas City and Buffalo and Dallas, but the one game that they want to prove to San Francisco was you talked all this talk in the offseason about, ah, we would have won the game had we had the quarterback didn't get hurt. And I thought the Eagles really wanted to say, no, we're better than you, whether you had your quarterback or not. And they got their ass kicked that day. And I do agree with Freddie Coleman to some extent of him uh, of what he's saying is maybe that doubt when they lost to the Niners was, man, we thought we were better than them, and we're just not. Now, I don't know how that derails an entire season, but it seems to have. They've never got off the mat since that day. They have not put together one impressive game since the Niner game. Nothing they have done has been impressive. Yeah, they had games where they scored points. Um, the Giant game, they scored a bunch of points on Christmas Day. But who cares? They have not looked impressive in any fashion. Offense, defense, nothing. You can make a strong argument that it all points to them losing and losing handily to San Francisco. It's interesting because, you know, we're all trying to find, you know, the genesis point of why we got to here. And... We all, I mean, I wrote the article on 97.3 ESPN.com, my, my top five reasons. But there are more than five reasons why this team is here. And you mentioned the 49ers game. 
it all does really go back to that game because that was the first time that, you know, Superman was handed kryptonite. And we all were like, well, we found the weakness. We found the flaw. And then ever since then, remember what the 49ers said, we found the formula. We found the blueprint how to beat the Eagles. And the Eagles have not been able to respond ever since. And that's why I'm saying, to me, it's more than a blueprint, Mike. It's it's more than a game plan. The Eagles have kryptonite hanging around their neck, and they can't get it off. Well, they have, and that's the frustrating part, is football is a game of adjustments, and it is a game where when teams start to figure you out, do you then say, okay, we've done this, you've done that, we're going to now do this, now you've got to do that. It seems that the Eagles did something well for so long Teams couldn't figure out what was going on, or they're just so talented that they weren't able to kind of stop it. Right. And now the talent that they have is not enough to push them through. No, it's not. What they're dealing with right now is something that it's almost as if they're in denial about it. It's almost as if they they themselves cannot accept the hand they've been dealt, which is why you know you have guys like Sirianni who keeps saying stuff like, well, we just got to work harder and we got to do what we've been doing. And it's like, you guys realize you well, got an anchor I mean, listen, that's a lot of coach speak. I get that. I mean, he's not going to come out and say, yeah, we're reinventing the Rubik's Cube here or the Atom, we're splitting it. I mean, that's a lot of coach speak. I get it. And it's frustrating to hear because if he's saying, we're just going to keep doing what we do, and if that's what's actually happening, then that's a problem because now you're saying, we're doing what we do and it's not working, and yet we're going to still keep doing it. And that's why someone like Chris Long on the Greenlight Podcast said this about Nick Sirianni and the Eagles, because even someone like him who's friends with guys who are on the team and played in the league for as long as he is, if he's saying this, it has to make you wonder. And I'm not saying I'm putting his head on a stake here, because I like Nick, but he would tell you it's not good enough. And after the game, to just come out and be like, you know, this team will fight. That stuff is tired when you're not actually fighting. It works when you're fighting and when you're an actual underdog, but when people don't think of you that way and you just look like an exposed group that the bottom fell out of, that doesn't work. And so for me, actually, I think the best thing that could happen to them is going on the road and playing the Bucks because I think if this team played at home, they'd piss down their legs because huh. of the pressure. Uh, interesting. Um and I don't, I don't disagree with him, and I don't think the Eagles purposely tried to play on the road, but I do think he's right a little bit. The pressure of playing at home might have been too much for them to overcome in that you go three and out on that first series and you got 70,000 people just howling booze down at you because you, again, didn't get the job done. Maybe they do need to just now, by the way, they didn't play very well on the road at New York last week, and they got booed on the road because there was enough Eagle fans up there. And Tampa is a place, too, where Eagle fans generally will travel pretty well to. It's an yep. easy flight. In fact, I had read that you can get a flight down there, tickets to the game, and a hotel for about $300 to go to an NFL playoff game. It's not a bad deal, actually. It's not a bad deal, and I think a lot of people from this area – here's the thing. A lot of people from this area, I think, would if the Eagles were playing Tampa Bay in the playoffs and there was a lot of excitement, I think that place would be a pretty good chance to have a lot of Eagle fans. But because people just don't like me, for instance, you were at my house on New Year's Eve. I don't know if you were in the conversation with us, but me and my cousins and some friends, we were talking about if the Eagles play Tampa, 
why don't we all just go to the game? And the problem is the game's on Monday night, and I have to work and, right. you know, all that stuff. But and if it was, think, let's say, Saturday instead of If it was Monday. Saturday night at 8.30, right. they had that 8 o'clock game, on, even if it was the 4 o'clock game, you could essentially fly from Atlantic City to Tampa. Like that morning. In the morning. Yeah. Get there, go to the game, and then fly home on Sunday. But, and listen, I would go to the game. I don't care whether or not I think the Eagles are going to win or not. That's not what kind of... Like, some people only want to go to a game because they want to see their team win. I don't go to sporting events to see my team win or lose. You've said in the past. Yes, I would rather my team win, but I don't go to a game to see a win or a loss. I go to a game because I like an event. I like being at the arena. I like the tailgating. I like going. All that stuff. So I would go to the Eagles game whether I think they're going to win or lose. I don't think, but my question is, a lot of people aren't like me. A lot of people want to go because they're excited about seeing the team win. That being said, if I say the Eagles game right now, it's like a $300 investment. Are there going to be a lot of Eagle fans right now that have enough positivity to go down there? Eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's it's a real tough proposition at this point. Well, because it's not one of these things where you bought tickets in advance to go to the game. Right. You have to wait for the matchup to be set. And then you got to go and find if you want the ticket. For instance, at the beginning of the year, you may have bought tickets for New Year's Eve to play Arizona. Mm-hmm. Because, like, hey, you know, it's New Year's Eve. It's something cool. New Year's Eve will go to the game. And then by the time it got to New Year's Eve, you might say, well, you know, the team is not what I had hoped. I'm not as excited about going to the game on New Year's Eve based on other results throughout the year. Like, if I, I, I would say I don't care. I, I'll go to New Year's Eve because it's a cool event. I don't care if the team was 1-14 in 14 at the time. I would still be interested in going. Like, last week, I saw people trying to sell tickets to the Eagles, you know, all day, you know, up to – you know, the game was 425. I saw someone post on Facebook at about 1130 in the morning. Hey, I got two tickets to today's game if somebody wants them at the last minute. Mm. I, I, like, I don't care that the Eagles weren't an exciting. Like, I actually, I'm a crazy person. The fact that the game was raining out, actually, I was like, I'd love to sit there. If I know it's raining, I will dress for the rain. Right. Exactly. Now, I don't want to sit in the rain if I'm not prepared for it. But if you're prepared for it, at right. least you're, you you. You put an investment into allowing yourself to be able to go and enjoy the reason why you went. Is anybody that is listening right now going to the game in Tampa? Let me know. 609-403-0973. I'm interested to see if anybody that's listening to the show right now is planning on going to Tampa. Like I know, for instance, like Philly Sports Trips, they are running a trip to Tampa. I know that there are these like travel plans that you can go to the playoff game. I'm just wondering, like... If if I was a travel business running a business a, a, a flight to Tampa right now or a thing to Tampa right now, how much interest is there? That's the sad state of where this team is now. Listen, as much as I think many fans are down, there is always a group of positive people that are just like, "Hey, I think they can turn this around," or they're like me, "Hey, I just like to go to Tampa because it's warm down there, and I'll go to the football game." But that being said. With what Long said on the Greenlight podcast, I do think the Eagles getting on the road and going to a place like Tampa, it's not a home field advantage. It's not a crazy crowd. It's not a loud place to play. And I do think 
that you could get a decent contingency of Eagle fans down there, regardless of whether or not. Like, I know, I think Philly Sports Trips is sending a trip down there, so you're going to get at least a handful of Eagles fans. But there's a lot of Eagle fans that live in Tampa because of Clearwater. You know, there's a lot of people from here that move down there and live there in the wintertime. You know, they, they live there because the Phillies are in Clearwater, which is 10, 15 minutes away from Tampa. So it, it'll be an interesting dynamic, but I think he's right. Them going on the road and playing this game might have been the best thing for him. The problem is I don't think going on the road the next week is the best thing for them. By the way, I got a text message. Mike, I'm definitely going to the Eagles game. Season ticket holder, 10 years. This is a game where Hurts finally shushes all the haters. Go Birds. All right, so there's one person that's listening that's going to the game. Anybody else going to the game? This, uh, it's also positive. It's a Monday night, too. That makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, by the way, for those who are going to the game, Herm Edwards wants to let you know, he said this earlier on ESPN Radio, that, uh, you know, be uh, be ready to be disappointed if you're an Eagles fan rooting for the Birds to win. You're one in five. They're going to go to Tampa and lose. I mean, who, who tells you they're going to win? What makes you think they're going to win? There's no magic wand for this. Well, how do you fix it? They can't fix it this year. It's unfixable. You walk into the playoffs and you think, well, it'll be Tampa. Yeah, okay, good luck. (laughs) Uh, To hear that from a coach is pretty discouraging, don't you think? To hear a coach in the NFL, because coaches always feel like I heard, um, who's the coach that does the McAfee show? Oh, Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano. McAfee asked him, you're a coach, like... How do you fix this? Or or is this fixable? That's what he said. Is this fixable? And he says it has to be fixable. There's no other answer. You're a coach. You have to be able to fix it. And Herm Edwards is right there saying, no, not fixable. Not, not fixable, fixable in season. Um, I, I, I tend to believe or I tend to lean more right now with Herm Edwards that this is not a fixable situation. I could not get my mind away from when he said it's not fixable right now in season because that's a coach, a guy who... Uh, by the way, a very positive coach. Right. But he's saying, look, I've seen a lot of football. I played football. I coach football. What you're seeing right now is not going to be fixed with a game, a week of game planning. Like, this is a, this is a bigger issue that we're looking at. All right, yep. I, I agree with him. I, I I don't see how Matt Patricia – I don't even know what he's doing, what he's trying to accomplish. Does Matt Patricia know what he's doing? Um, Yeah, I think Matt Patricia is a good defensive coordinator. I think the problem is he's been put in an unattendable situation where you're put in in the middle of the season mm-hmm. and you were asked in the middle of the season to take over the play calling. This is not his defense. No, it's not. But at the same time, you've been in the building for, what, seven, eight months now? Like I don't care. That, that doesn't matter. Why would it matter if you were in the building for seven, eight months and you were asked to call the defense that's not yours? Because you should have familiarity with it. Yeah, but the problem is just because you have familiarity with it doesn't mean you're. it's not yours. You might have familiarity with some of the things I'm doing, but it's not yours. But, um, but, well, that'd be like saying, you know, Mike, you asked me to – by the drive, way, he's not running. Your car. He's not running. Running Desai's defense. When did Sean Desai ask Hassan Reddick to drop into pass coverage? Well, it's a huge problem. Exactly. So he was. He, he is now trying to. I don't know if he is on the fly trying to put his defense in. 
That's a horrible thing to do then. Of course it is. And so I don't know if he was saying, look, I tried to run his defense and it's not working, so I'm going to try to implement stuff from my defense. Listen, I wouldn't want to be the guy that somebody said, here's Josh's defense. We're firing Josh. Call his defense. Well, usually when you fire somebody, there's still a there's still a substructure in place. Like when the Bills fired Ken Dorsey, Joe Brady didn't install an entirely new offense. Brady said, all right, this is the offense. I want to run it this way. And then the Bills had success. Usually when you bring in somebody to do a job in season – you're not changing the you defense. You normally have people on the staff who have a similar philosophy. philosophy. Matt Patricia is here, and it was a perplexing, why is he here? Because he does not run this defensive system. Well, well, so reason, now you've asked him to take over a system that he does not run. Well, remember, the reason why he's here is because when they couldn't get Vic Fangio, because of the whole Gannon thing, him leaving when he did, they wanted a veteran coach to be with Sean Desai. Right, but you brought a veteran coach in. Bringing Vic Fangio would make sense. Let's say it was Vic Fangio. You brought him in and said, hey, we want you to be whatever whatever title they gave Patricia. Right. We want you to be that guy. You run the same defense. Mm-hmm. You have the same principles. Right. You brought Matt Patricia in here to do what? He doesn't run the same defense. This is not the defense that he runs. Sean Desai's defense is not what Matt Patricia runs. Right. So then who do we blame for that? Well, I mean, whoever decided that he would be the person that would be the veteran overseer or consultant type of advisor, it doesn't seem to make sense. No, it doesn't. But then that gets back to the the question. I don't know who made the decision. I don't know if Nick Sirianni said, you know what, I want to have a guy who's a veteran and I'm going to go after Matt Patricia. Or if if, if, uh, Jeff Lurie said, hey, we want Matt Patricia. He's from the New England organization. We think he's a good person to have. We could pick his brain. Maybe that's what it is. But to me, what Herm Edwards has said... Um, what Chris Long said. But Herm Edwards more so, like, this is not fixable. Oh, yeah. Because you have a defensive coordinator coming in here, running a defense that's not his. And then if he's saying, well, I don't want to run that defense, I'm going to start implementing what I want to run, it's too late in the year to try to run that. So now you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Uh, 447 on the Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Sound of the day brought to you by Boardwalk Honda. And this hour of the show brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Online at Broadleys.net. It's with Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. couple quick text messages before Mike Missinelli joins us at 5 o'clock tonight. Patricia hasn't had much coaching success anywhere. That's not really true. He did uh, win a couple Super Bowls. Is that, like, uh, not success? Do we just discount the fact he was on the Patriots coaching staff well, for all those years? Yes, because people think it's all Belichick. Well, then hire Belichick. Well, that's not really the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and that was basically has no bearing to what this guy said. He said Patricia hasn't had much coaching success anywhere. This wasn't 
hire Belichick. This was this guy who's here now hasn't had any success, so why should we think he should? He has had success is the point. Yeah. He is the guy who, by the way, is given credit for the interception, the, the defensive design of the play uh, that Malcolm won Brown. them, the Malcolm. Um, Malcolm Brown against the Seahawks. Yes. Um, so, and then he says, our offense has no movement, no misdirection, no pre-snap motion. Look at Miami and San Francisco. Lots of motion were stale. They didn't have a lot of motion last year. Miami and San Francisco didn't make the Super Bowl last year. So it's like, I, I get the whole, well, they're doing something and it works and we're not. The Eagles had no motion, no misdirection, and no pre-snap last year either. And they went to the Super Bowl and had one of the most successful offenses in the league. They are very vanilla this year. They are. Look, it is a vanilla offense, but it did work for them a year ago. Um, all right. Mike Missinelli on the other side. Stick around for that. Plus Grayson's Grays at 530. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live. From the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN, 5 o'clock hour. A little in excess to try to put us in a better move. The new sensation is Matt Patricia. I don't know that it's working, though. Um, in fact, I know it's not working. I'm watching with my own two eyes, and it's been terrible. But I would uh, like to get Mike Missinelli's take on it. Of course, Mike uh, is part of the uh, pre uh, post-game show. Um, over at Ocean Casino, which is where we were yesterday, and the Mike Missinelli podcast, which I uh, got a chance to listen to earlier today. And uh, I figured, you know what, Mike, this is one of these moments in Philly sports where the Eagles are in the playoffs and you're generally jacked up. You're ready to make this run. No juice. Got no juice, man. Yeah, well, first of all, Mike, uh, I was a big in-excess guy back in the day, so I'm glad you came into the segment with that. Uh, Nice. This is one of the damnedest things I've ever seen, that a team which had sort of a, an identity where, like, they conned us to the point where we actually thought they were the elite team in the NFC, uh, and, and they've taken this decline. That, like, I mean, you could look at the anatomy of it and, and see the one game that took their heart out, even though we were in denial on how good this team really was because they kept winning and winning and winning. And there's something to be said for that. But once the 49ers got a hold of them, they ripped their heart out. And then uh, the Dallas game followed, and from that moment on, they panicked. You know, that defensive coordinator uh, decision was the faultiest decision you could possibly make. Not that Sean Desai was any great shakes, but you can't introduce that kind of uncertainty into your locker room at that point of the year and think it's just going to go swimmingly. Because then guys start to go, uh-oh. And then the uh-oh on top of that is A.J. Brown, who makes it a point of saying that he's not talking, which leaves the message to the rest of the people, whether he talks or not, they know that he's now bailing. So it's like, what's supposed to stop that is good leadership, and they've got enough veterans to do that, but also a head coach. And this head coach has not shown himself capable to stop this team from losing control. All right, so the defensive coordinator thing, I don't know in your mind, I think I have listened to the podcast, and I think you do think that this was basically a management decision? Yeah, I, I, I'm i giving Sirianni the benefit of the doubt because I can't imagine he would be that foolish to think that that would not introduce a panic move to his team. And I've seen Lurie do that kind of thing before. Like I said, I think Lurie 
is a closet Ed Snyder. He's he's clandestine in what he does, but I, I believe that he influences a lot. And he gets advised by people who are analytics oriented and he thinks that he knows enough just to mess things up, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that was a knee-jerk reaction from Lori. Sirianni doesn't have the clout to say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And so, and I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't Lori at all, which would be even worse. That Sirianni could think they could do something like that and it wouldn't blow up in his face. Right. Well, I, I guess my point is, if it's the front office, then it, you can't blame Sirianni. But if it fact was Sirianni, because I'm not a big fire the coach guy here, he's had a ton of success. But this has gone so bad that if it was, in fact, his decision, at that point, that's a fireable offense. You made a decision that was fireable. Do you agree with that? There is no question about that if they lose this game. Now, I have them on record. Agree. Agree, by the way. If they lose this this game in a fashion that the defense is so inept, then you would say, again, the defense was such a problem and your decision is behind it. I got to move on. Yes, or they would, and I think they're going to do this anyway, or they would say, we are now going to choose your offensive and defensive staff. And and then they throw it back in his lap, in which case he says, nah, uh, I'm moving on uh, like Doug Peterson did. Or he says, okay, to save his job. I don't know what's going to happen at that point, but I agree that there's uh, something dramatic. And, and I don't know how the Eagles could bring him back and sell it to the fans if they lose this game to Tampa Bay. And sell it to really the team that he was the uh, the you know the boss of this whole collapse and he's going to come back like what what are you what are you trying to do at that point yeah, nobody has any faith in him not the not the team or the fans at all so uh, you got to read that tea leaf as well yeah I, I mean so you essentially think that he is coaching for his job in this particular game what if they yeah. win this game is he then safe I think he is and I think that's what's actually going to happen I think they're going to win this game I think. Yeah, the thing about people picking Tampa Bay here is that they're so they're so put off by this whole Eagle situation, and they're just they're so down on it they can't see straight. But to see straight is to say, wait, that team stinks. They're going to play, and, and you know if you if you're looking at a team that's broken, which the Eagles are, uh, you're going to Tampa Bay, which is not broken, but they're just not good. You go with the better roster that can, can pull this out. In fact, the line. Has reflected that it went from a point and a half to three, so I think they're going to escape that. Now, if they get blasted by the 49ers, is he in the same scopes? Yeah, you know, if they lose 42 to seven, uh, would that be a, uh, such a lingering effect that, that would matter that uh, that Sirianni won game one? It's another good point. Is is I mean, if the game goes the same way the first game went, and you're looking up and said we got blasted again by San Francisco? Hey, one time, okay, maybe we had a bad day, yada yada. But the second time, we still were not competitive. That's on you. The weird part about this all, okay, we're talking about a defensive coordinator, and the defense is rotten. They have enough talent on offense that they shouldn't be in the conversation. But Mike, are they as much in the conversation as the defense in your mind? Is what the offense in the, in the conversation? No, the defense the, is the, inepti- the ineptitude the, the, of the, the offense. Is, 
Yeah, the defense is track. And, and the only reason they could get by in this game, my God, Tampa Bay beat Carolina nine to nothing last week. Yeah. The, the quarterback who was, who was taking bows, getting interviewed after the game, threw for 115 yards for crying out loud. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So the defense is horrendous. And against a good team, they would get picked apart. I don't think they get picked apart against this team. And I think the offense with some people back, Smith and Brown and, and Swift uh, back in, in, in the same you know realm, I don't know how much Slay is going to have to do with this game anyway, but I, I just think their offense it would be able to score a few more points than Tampa Bay would in this game. Well, I mean, I, I guess my, my thought is, is it as perplexing to you as it is to me? Yes, the defense is direct. The offense should not be in the conversation of the issue with the talent that they have. But yet it is part of the it might not be the problem, but isn't it not perplexing if I say you have AJ Brown and Smith and Swift and Goddard and by the way, this offensive line and oh by the way, your quarterback was second in the MVP and maybe the best player on the field in the Super Bowl last year, and yet your offense is part of the problem with this team. It's it's totally part of the problem. It's so unimaginative. I, I can't I can't even believe some of the schemes they're trying to run. They, you know, listen, the, the two last teams that played them blitz the hell out of them. Now, somewhere along the line, your offensive coaches have to be savvy enough to say, okay, if they're going to blitz, let's do this. Let's go to this. You know, you're, you're talented enough on offense to be able to beat people who are going to blitz you. I mean, teams blitz all the time in the NFL, and you figure out a way to beat it. And they should be able to beat it with the talent they have. Their schemes are horrible. They, 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 their plays are unimaginative. They don't use motion. They use this stupid screen. The screen pass to the tight end or or the running back hasn't worked in ever this whole season. And they keep going back to it. And I scratch my head and I go, well, who's overseeing this? That play in a meeting during the week, you know, we don't run that thing very well. Let's stay away from it. But let's go here which would defeat a blitz. Let's get our quarterback used to the hot read here because what he's doing now is as soon as the blitz comes at him, he's kind of quitting on it. Like he's not stepping into a blitz saying, okay, you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. He's kind of completely lost his, his control and his savvy on, on how to read at this point. So you got to help him out. you, you got to develop a scheme that's going to help him out. Now, the only thing, the reason I think they're going to be on offense whether the scheme is bad or not, they still have playmakers. So you, you, you count on somebody making a play, whether it's Hurts running out of the pocket for 25, whether it's Devontae Smith making a, a, a miracle catch that, he, that he's made a lot this year. That play's got to happen for them, and I believe they're capable of that play. They're not capable of consistent offense the way they're running it, but they're capable of a play yeah. that would – Make them score more points than Tampa Bay. Uh, Mike Missinelli's the guest from the Mike Missinelli podcast. By the way, you would think for two hundred fifty million, you get a guy who's not incapable of reading these things himself. Yeah, well, he's regressed. Listen, he's spooked. You can tell he's spooked. He he doesn't have the same swagger that he did last year. Now, that's where the coaching staff has to come in and go. Okay, he, he's not he's not seeing what what he saw last year. So let's freaking help him. Like, I don't understand. They make this so difficult instead of fundamental. Yeah, well, I guess there's the part of the coaches, too, that just see what he was and assume that's who he is. Yeah, but that's ridiculous because you've had – how many oh, games yeah. have you had to see this now? You've, you've just lost five of your last six. If you can't see that something is wrong with your scheme and the way you're calling plays, what are you in the NFL for? Like these people are accomplished people that rose up in ranks to get these kind of jobs. They're rare jobs. 
you got to know what the hell's going on here. Well, I, I think we do see an example of this a lot. Andy, when he started to get coordinators plucked from him, we always had these discussions. And now Nick Sirianni, to me, is a guy who, I mean, he came out of nowhere. I mean, this guy was uh, came out of nowhere, and, you know, he brought two guys with him that he felt pretty comfortable with. But I don't know the extent of his contacts if people keep taking coordinators from him, how deep does the Rolodex go that he can get guys here to help him out? But that's where Lori's going to come in. You see, this is the thing that also may save him. Lori has tremendous pride in his ability to pick a shiny new toy. You know, he, he plucks Sirianni out of nowhere, right? But that's to tell the rest of the world, I'm smarter than you. We did our research on this guy, and look, it paid off because our guy went to the Super Bowl last year, right? So he would have to be kind of making him humiliating himself if he clips Sirianni here. That's why I think that he's got a snowball's chance to sit, to stay because the last thing Lori wants, but like he did it with Chip Kelly. He bailed, but it took him a while to do that. And he did it with Peterson. It took him a while to do that. If if he kind of reverses his field on this new discovery of Sirianni, it kind of makes him look ridiculous. Well, the fact that the field has some interesting candidates in it, does that do anything in your mind? I mean, you got possibly – well, now you got Vrabel. Yeah, listen, you got Belichick. Is he, the, is, is he the type of guy that's going to hire one of those type of guys? That's not his M.O., he, he like the rest of the Hasn't. world thinks those guys are qualified. That's an easy selection. Lori likes to go deeper to show how smart he is. So he's not going to take the normal guy. Wink Martindale's out there. He blitzes. He's very aggressive. He's not going to take Wink Martindale. He's not going to hire Bill Belichick. He, he wants guys that he discovered that can go along with the program on what he and Roseman want to do. They're not going to give autonomy to somebody to come in here. Uh, Mike Missinelli from the Mike Missinelli Podcast. All right. How difficult is it to wrap your head around, Mike? How hard to believe is this collapse? I, you've been doing this much longer than me. I can't compare it to anything that I have ever seen where a team is going, it's entering the playoffs, and nobody cares. Yeah, um, because there's no hope for the big prize. There's hope for maybe a game. There's no hope for the big prize. Once this... This fan base figures that out, they're out. Like, you know, the, what keeps the fan base going now since they won a Super Bowl is the ability to maybe win another one. So the, the smart people here, you know, unless you're a like, totally ridiculous fanboy, you can't possibly think that this team can negotiate these playoffs and actually get to another Super Bowl. So that's why the, the whole thing is down. And no, I haven't seen a collapse like this. Well, it's historic. The numbers say that a team that starts winning 10 of the first 11 games um, since 1986 has, has not gone past 11. They're, they're at 11 after being 10 and 1. That hasn't happened since 1986. So that's a long period of time that's gone by. Yes, it's historic. And it's, it's, uh, it's weird. It's really weird because unless we were totally wrong, and we couldn't have been totally wrong, we watched them win games that they should have won because they had this – they had something in them that prevented them from losing. That was an accomplishment for this team. So we all got on board. You know, this team, they're not beating everybody 40 to 12, but look at, they survived. Well, everybody else in this league gets beat on Sundays. This team survives. So there must be something special about it. Yeah, We've that- gone from that to where people don't think they're going to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's the startling thing to me. Yeah, I mean, when the by the way, when the line came out, people were saying, 
how does Vegas see this team as a favorite against any? Look, I know you're laughing, and it was 9 nothing. and I watched that Tampa game because I don't watch the red zone, and that was the game I got stuck on my TV. So I watched that whole trash game, and I'm saying, this team is terrible. But people are looking at you as the Eagles and saying, you're the worst team in the league. Not what they are, you are. Yeah, you know, at a point and a half, I thought that was the Tampa Bay line because I thought the, the Eagles on paper – and with their pedigree, so much better. And this team has struggled all year to get the nine wins for crying out loud. So I thought the one and a half line was actually a Tampa line. Now that it's going up to three, um, I, you know, people are betting the Eagles. So you know, smart money is what pushes that line up. And uh, that's the only thing that comforts me in that the Eagles will, will win this game. I, I thought they were going to win it when it was a point and a half. I, I, just, I just can't get used to the idea that even in, in a broken state, that Tampa Bay is going to be good enough to beat a yeah. team that's better on paper. I just can't go there. They went down there and ran the ball 40 times for 200 yards in week three. I mean, is that the answer here? Just, you know, a couple of years ago, they made the playoffs with a not very talented team. They just ran their way into a wild card. Do they just simplify things and go back to just playing? We're going to hand it off 40 times. What do you think? I would say, if you ask me what I think, I'd say no, but they ran it 40 times in that week. Of course not. First of all, they don't have a guy they can run that much. They get to 15 with with DeAndre Swift, and and alarms go off on the sidelines. So they don't have anybody else that's going to carry the mail for that long. Besides the fact is, that's not what Lurie and and, and Roseman want to do. They, They are all analytically oriented to say, you pass the ball in this league to win. So, no, I don't think there's going to be, you know, I remember at the time, like, what, Keith Byers, they gave the ball to Keith Byers, he carried it like 35 times in that one game. That's not, I don't think that's going to happen well, in this game. that was uh, the recipe when they went to Tampa the first time. I, I don't know if you have any feeling at all that this team, I mean, Dallas Goddard's, ah, you know, we've been, once we clinch, we just kind of, yeah, any feeling at all, Ocho Stinko thinks they've been playing possum. For whatever that's worth, that's 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 the best stuff going right now. But I don't think you have it. I don't have any feeling at all that they could just flip a switch. Do you have any thought that this team can get it together and and make it interesting? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And if they win this game, it's going to be like a nail biter, like twenty one twenty, like something like that. I I, I think they're going to survive in this game. I don't. Think, you can't possibly think. And those guys don't think that. Whatever Goddard said, he sees what's going on. When you're in a locker room, you see it's fractured. It's it's like pie in the sky to think you're all of a sudden going to come out of it and be a great team again. This thing is broken. So the only thing they have left is to survive against a weaker team. And that's what I think is going to happen. And they're going to go on to the second round. Now, it'll be really interesting if, if this whole thing shakes out to the point where uh, Detroit loses and then the Eagles play Dallas in the second game. And not San Francisco, and somehow they're able to. And that game would be in Dallas, so I don't think they would win that game. But I think it's an easier W than it would be at San Francisco. Uh, Mike Missinelli, the podcast, a new one dropped this morning. You can check that out on all your podcasting platforms to hear him give a full expository on this mess. I can't believe the playoffs are here. You go eighteen weeks, you wait all year. It was ten and one. Let's get to the playoffs, and here we are. Did you say? 
expository or suppository? <laughs> what did you say there? Yes. I think it was more of suppository that I gave today. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It, it, it is one of the weirdest situations that I could ever come across in doing this. I was looking forward to possibly being in Vegas, and I don't know that that's going to happen now. And if we weren't kicked down enough, uh, some hockey player pulls a JD Drew on the flyer. I know. I, the so fact like, that JD man. Drew was trending last night. I mean, JD Drew was trending. His name was like that. People, it's it's crazy. But all right. back to, people are back to thinking that Philly's bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mike Missinelli, everybody here. Don't forget the podcast, the Mike Missinelli podcast and uh, the uh, post-game show. You can check that out on YouTube on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Could be the last one we do here, Mike. All right, bud. We'll talk to you. Could be sayonara for the year after this one. Yeah, that would... <laughs> That wouldn't be a shock, I don't think. I don't think it would be a shock. I think you'll get one more, but probably it wouldn't be a shock, but you'll get one more. I got you. Thanks, buddy. All right, Mike Missinelli, everybody, here uh, on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We've got uh, some text messages coming in, and uh, we'll read off a couple of those before we get to Grayson's grades tonight. I, You know, Mike's been doing this a long time. I interned for Mike. You know, the year was 1998, so that's how long we've known each other. So he's been doing uh, the show a lot longer than I have and can't put your finger on anything like it. Where a team – look, there's been teams that got off to good starts and then they just kind of turned into who they were. I don't know that this is who the Eagles are. I think this is what they've become. They, they weren't this. This is what they've become. There's a difference. They didn't start out the season being this team and just masked it. They became this team. And that's a difference. That's different. They became this team. I don't know where it happened. And I don't know. Well, I don't think there's a way to, to break it. I don't think. I like. Ultimately, in my mind, something is more – it's it's a bigger than just the, well, it's the coaches. Well, it's the players. There's something going on in that locker room that has caused this. And that's my only real explanation that I could give is there is something deeper – than just players, coaches, scheme. We always want to say it's the coach's fault, the scheme they're running's not right, they're not doing this, and that plays a factor. But the bigger factor to me is the things aren't working because the players in that locker room aren't focused enough to make it want to work, and that's a problem. And that means you're at that point of your arc, your arc in your organization where you now have to find out who those people are, and you got to get them out. That's why, Mike, I'm surprised that Mike picked. See, oh, I think the Eagles are going to win the game. Well, his point is Tampa's so bad, and you're bad. You're just a better bad. You have more talent than But are we they sure do. about that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody just looks at Tampa. They're 9-8. and eight. Baker Mayfield is what he is. He's just an average quarterback. But, look, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If Tampa beat you, I mean, they really—they're nine and eight this year. They really don't have 
a good win. Uh, they're nine no, wins. They Their best win this year came against Green Bay. They beat them pretty uh, handily a couple of weeks ago, 34-20. Uh, they beat Jacksonville, who, you know, didn't make the playoffs, but I think is a pretty talented team. Other than that, I mean, they don't really. They didn't play a very good schedule, by the way, and they only won nine. Listen to their schedule. They won nine games with this schedule. By the way, you want to know what their preseason over-under was? Six and a half. So they out they 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 did better than that, but um they played Minnesota, not a playoff team. Chicago, not a playoff team. The Saints, not a playoff team. They played Detroit, they lost. They played the Falcons, not a playoff team. They played Buffalo and they lost. They played the Texans, not a playoff team. They played the Titans, not a playoff team. They played San Francisco and they lost. They played the Colts, not a playoff team. They played the Panthers, that's 10 teams, not a playoff team. They played the Falcons again, that's 11. They played Green Bay, who made the playoff, they did win. They played Jacksonville, not a playoff team. They played the Saints, not a playoff team, and the Panthers. They played, what is that, 14 games of their schedule 17 games against non-playoff teams. So... I mean, they didn't play anybody, and they went nine and eight. I mean, they lost games and, this year against the Bears early in the year. Uh, not not the Bears, excuse me. They lost, um, or, and they lost to the Eagles, by the way, who right. made the playoffs. Um, they lost to the Falcons. They lost to the Bills. They lost to the Texans. No, the Texans made the playoffs. I, I'm sorry, they did make the playoffs. The Texans. Um, they just really, you know, this is just not a good team. The the, the Buccaneers. But is no, it makes them dangerous because. If you assume that they're not good, that's the kind of team that can beat you. Oh, I am not ruling out that they can beat you. They have talent. They've got good players. They're, they're, and where they have talent is where you really struggle. Their wide receivers are very good. Mike Evans had a really good year. I would know it's my fantasy football team. Yeah, you know, uh, my fantasy team, on the last game of the year, remember I said I needed a quarterback? Yeah. I picked up Derek Carr. That went pretty well he for you, He had 39 then. points for me, and I ended up sneaking into... Um, I placed into the last money spot yeah. by eight points. Good for you. Because of Derek Carr. Derek Carr got me into the money. Well, the next time you see Derek Carr, buy him a beer. I had Derek Carr on the show one time, years ago, when he was coming out of Fresno. Gotcha. Uh, Grayson's grades are coming up next. Scott Grayson grades the Eagles lost, but really, I want him to grade this whole mess. That's next. <laughs> this is the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. It's Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Five thirty-four feels like it's all downhill from here, doesn't it? Grayson's grades are posted every week after every Eagles game, I would give everybody an F. I would imagine it's all Fs. That's what I didn't even have to look at it. It's probably an F. It's brought to you by South Jersey Gas. Switch now to learn about how you can get enjoy and uh, get and enjoy safe, reliable, affordable natural gas and smile big at the savings. Learn more at SouthJerseyGas.com slash love my home. Scott Grayson from Fox 29. Grayson's grades at 97.3 ESPN.com. He joins me now to take a look at uh, you know, for a while, Scott, you know, there was a lot of problems. But, uh, you know, generally this team was 10-1, and one, and, you know, uh, it, it seemed they were getting through it. Um, this would be an F, right? The whole game's an F. Yeah, I think when I did it, I gave Kenny Gainwell and Quez Watkins Bs just because Kenny Gainwell was averaging eight yards per carry, more than that. And uh, Quez Watkins put up some decent numbers, but it was all garbage, really. I mean, it was 
everybody else got an F. It was it was just god awful. And uh, boy, it doesn't really put a lot of confidence into a lot of people heading into this postseason. Even though I know they're favored against Tampa, um, we'll see what happens. It's, yeah, that was that was as ugly as it could. I mean, before the first half, you're down twenty four nothing and sitting your starters. It's that's not the way anybody would you have played that. the starter. Where, where was your mindset on that? Would you have played the so guys my, at all? It's a good question because, you know, in the back of my mind was the MetLife turf and the nasty history that it has. Um, but you went into the day with a chance to be the number two seed. And I thought, you know what, like the giants did with the Eagles, the Cowboys were capable of doing Cowboy things and they were throughout most of the first half. Um, and so I would have played the starters with an eye on the scoreboard and at halftime sort of reevaluated it. Um, but he benched them because they got down 24 nothing. not bench, he rested them. Um, it was almost like he was rewarding the guys. For oh, I think so it was badly. fair to add. I was thinking to myself at one point right before half, you know, at what point do you bench Hurts not because uh, of rest, because he's been so bad today? But he had, yeah. And, and but you know, my problem with I, I'm, it's fair to point the finger at Hurts. I think it's fair to say he's missing things and he isn't as sharp as he was uh, last year. I think the knee has something to do with that, but. Um, I also think it's fair to point the finger at Brian Johnson because, you know, you know, Mike, and I wrote this in my, th- in my article when I gave Brian Johnson's F, um, it, it was, this, there was a 32 yard run by Kenny Gainwell. The following possession, he had a four yard run and the following play, he had a 12 yard run. They threw four times after that first down and turned it over on downs. There is an egregious, a failure by the play calling here to go away from the running game almost intentionally to snub the nose at everybody who says run the ball is what it feels like. Um, they ran the ball 40 and, and I, times. I think, Scott, they ran the ball 40 times for 200 yards against Tampa. Do you have any thought in your mind that they watch that game and say, you know what, it's been so bad, let's just get a week where we just beat somebody up to try to get someone because look they might beat Tampa but nobody has any thought that they can move on because I think a lot of it is they've given regardless the game against the Giants they scored 30 some points in that game but nobody felt like this thing is starting to turn around would that be something that would be so different just go down there and physically beat up on somebody well, you're face. You're going to face a team that blitzes almost as much as the Giants do, uh, and so you're going to face a similar thing to what you saw last week. Well, what's one way to to, to get past that? Well, you to just slam it down their throats and run it down. You know, and, and that's sort of what they did in Week Three. And and you're right. I mean, it, it's it's there for you. Take the easy path to victory. And I, I easy is the wrong word. Take the easier path to victory than trying to slam it down somebody's throat by throwing it, it throwing it through the air, which isn't working. It's just not working. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've, and I've been saying this all along, Mike, you know, run the ball to set up the pass. And and instead they try to, to, to pass with these explosive plays. And when they have success on the ground, they just turn their back to it and go back to the air again. It just makes no sense at all. And, um, I think if there's anything that they're going to do this week that, that would be productive, it would be to um, not have your defense out there as much. Limit the amount of plays they have to go out there and defend by controlling the clock. Run the ball. Get behind this offensive line. Uh, and don't put the ball in Jalen Hurts' hands to make mistakes against a blitz because right now, let's face it, he's taken his eyes off, the, off of downfield because he does not trust his pass protection uh, when there's a blitz. 
Uh, Scott Grayson, Grayson's grades are up at 97.3 ESPN.com. I'm going to spoil it. They all got Fs except for two, but uh, Sirianni F, Patricia F, Johnson F. Let's start with uh, Patricia. Um, I don't know what to think about this. To me, Patricia is in a weird situation. The guy is here. Why? Who knows? He doesn't have... There's no lineage to him and Sirianni as I can find, right? He doesn't run a Vic Fangio, John Gannon, Sean Desai level defense. That's not what he did. So even if you said, look, this guy's a great defensive mind. He architect these Super Bowl winning defenses in New England. He doesn't run the same defense. So then you basically remove the play caller and tell Patricia, run this guy's defense. Well, I don't even run that defense. I don't care. Do it anyway. Now it seems you have some hybrid mess of what Desai did morphed in with what Patricia is trying to. So I don't know how I blame Patricia, but since he's the guy, he does get the F. But do you fault him or whoever decided to make that decision in hindsight? Yeah, I mean, what the, I thought you summed it up well. I'll give you another analogy. They gave Patricia square pegs and said, well, you put these in these round holes for us. Uh, you know, and, and you're right. He, this is not his style of defense. Uh, so where does the blame fall? Well, he's the one calling the plays. Um, and there's got to be some play in there that would work better than the one that they've been calling uh, for the given plays that are, you know, they started the game. Uh, what was it? The You know, there were plays that there were chunk yardage given up early in that game. And, and, to me, it screams preparation. So if you want to say that Sean Desai is still the, quote, defensive coordinator and Matt Patricia is the one calling the plays, fine. If that's the case, then there's 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 poor preparation taking place during the week. These guys look confused anytime somebody goes in motion. So I guess you can put the blame on Desai and Patricia in the sense that they're charged with having these guys ready to go. I, I just, you know, Mike, if when you look at these players after the game and you, you know, early on, I don't think I was seeing it as much because I don't think they were believing it as much, but now I look at these players, I look at the body language, I see the frustration and I see guys that don't necessarily, you know, this is just my interpretation of, of body language and things like that behind the scenes. I see guys that don't necessarily look like they're buying into what they're hearing. Uh, and that's a problem. That that is a big problem, especially when you're going into the postseason. When you want to feel like you are prepared, you've got the answers to the test. Now you need to go out there and recognize what you see and do what you've been taught to do. They're missing steps in there, and, and whether or not they're going to be able to do it against Tampa, maybe Tampa won nine nothing over Carolina. You're playing a team. You got the worst playoff team. You got the lucky draw. I think it worked out in their favor in that regard. Chris Long but, said on his podcast that he thinks this was the best thing for them, to go on the road and play a team like Tampa. Uh, because if you played at home and went three and out, that you'd get booed unmercifully and that basically, you know, like you would go. But that fact that you go on the road, and Tampa's not a tough place to play. It's not a loud place. And, you know, it's probably going to be nice out. Is this the right remedy for them? It, it might be, but I, I have no confidence that this defense – has any clue what they want to be at this stage of the season? No well, clue what they want to be. I, you know, and, and I, you know, you hear the, then you hear the Chad Ochocinco's who say, "Well, they're playing possum." Yeah, that's really? ridiculous. Uh, if, if they are, if they are, I'll give you the one piece of that that might be the case. Because the last couple of weeks, I've been asking myself, "Why in the hell 
are you dropping Hassan Reddick into coverage as much as you are? Unless you're trying to put down on film for an opponent that says, hey, he's not even going to come after your quarterback with as good as he is. He's going to drop back, and now you're going to unleash him. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's a lot of things going on here defensively that make me scratch my head because you're doing things with guys, you know, uh, it, Mike, it's just it's it's troubling from that standpoint. That's where I keep coming back in my head to the coaching. And, and I will say this: I, I've heard different you know vantage you know standpoints on this whole thing and and uh, thoughts. And you know, in my opinion, if they don't beat Tampa, I think Nick's gone. Wow. I think I think Nick's gone, and with him goes everybody else. Even if they do beat Tampa, you know, it could come down to still being an issue of what happens in the next game. Maybe they lose. Do they lose a close one? Do they get blown out? That might not still save his job. And if he is saved, I could see this being very much Doug Peterson like. We want new coaches. Here's who we want. Mm-hmm. And then Sirianni has to decide if he's going to do it or say, you know what? No, I'm not doing this if you're not letting me pick my guys. I, I, I you know, and I say wow only because um, to hear it, it, it's like I said, look, if they lose and their defense gets Roshan, but I, I don't know who made the decision to go to this uh, situation. Was he told, he said, I told them, and they said, if you want to do it, go for it. That doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement. Yeah, go for it. Um, but if he went to management and said, guys, I want to make a change, I would have to say, if you want to make this change, that's on you. But if this backfires, it's your ass. And if they lose again in the fashion that they've been losing with this defense, this isn't just bad. This is embarrassingly bad. That's a fireable offense. You hitched I, your I wagon agree. to this decision, and the decision absolutely blew up the season. Because to me, Scott... I don't think this is a talent thing. Are they great on the defensive side of the ball? Not necessarily, but they got enough talent to be competitive. They're not competitive. I don't know that it's a coaching problem. I think there's something in that locker room that divided this team and has caused this. I think there's something there. but See, Mike, I'm a little different in the sense that You're I... in that locker room. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I've seen trying to compare it in my mind right now on the fly to previous locker rooms. You know, when they were ten and one, there was all the normal. You know, chemistry looked good. They, they were they were finding ways to win. It was a different way every week, and they were overcoming adversity and still winning. There were guys happy. They were. It's a lot quieter in there now. Um, you see, uh, and, and I think that's normal. That's human nature. You know, given what's going on. But to me. I just don't believe that these guys feel they're prepared uh, as well as they should be for some of these games. And, you know, they're going out there and you could say players have to make plays. But if they're not being put in the best position to make plays, who's that on? To me, it's on the coaches. And I wonder, and that's the question I ask myself, is are these guys being put in the best position to make plays? Now, you could argue there have been an increase in missed tackles. And I would agree with that. That is a guy in a position to make a play who didn't make the play. So you got to make the play. That is on the player. Um, as far as what's going on in the locker room, you know, I'm kind of curious to see when I get in there. Um, Thursday will be the day that it's open to kind of see how it how it is, how it feels. Um, you know, but I, I think these guys are going to build a little bit of confidence off the fact they know that they should be able to beat Tampa. Um, you know, but but there's some frustration there, and I'll be curious to did see. Did they what not think they could, did they not think they could beat the Giants? 
They should have. I I don't know if they just Arizona. Because Scott, let's be honest. If they beat Arizona, they're not in the situation. Well, no, it's true. And that's why that's what was so egregious about that loss. These last two have been the two worst losses, probably in Nick Sirianni's coaching uh, stint here in Philadelphia. So which is why I go to the whole fireable thing. You were 10 and one. You had the number one seed laid out in front of you. And I wasn't I wouldn't say it was a clear path to it because you had to go through San Francisco and Dallas still to help get there. But it was there for you. And then you went from that to the number five seed, the wild card. Uh, and you now have to play on the road a lot. And you, so Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman won championships. That's fine. You were in a Super Bowl a year ago. You came in here. Howie Roseman believes he put the roster out there that should be able to do it. And and we all went into the year saying this is the best roster in, in, in at least the NFC, if not the league. It hasn't performed that way. So who's that on? You know, it's got, it's, you know, and you could argue how he left them bone dry at linebacker. And I'll sit here and say, you're, you know what? You're right. That was an egregious overlook at that position. But to me, I think going from 10 and one to losing the way you lost, not that you lost the way you lost all these games and the last two that you lost that still could have saved the division title. That's a problem, yeah. and I don't see Howie and 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 and, um, and Jeffrey Lurie looking at each other and saying, "You know what? Let's go for that ride one more time next year." And just ah, we'll just assume it was a mistake and things just went haywire. With a, with new coordinators, it'll be fixed. I don't know how you fix that, man. That's that's you look at guys, and here's where I'm at, Mike. I look at guys like Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey, uh, Lane Johnson's up there, Fletcher Cox. These guys know that their window is really closing, if not closing at the end of this year. And I've looked at these guys like begging, and I've talked to them several times. They're begging for, you know, they're almost begging for this to just get turned around. Like, it's going to happen. We're fine. we got too much talent. And it hasn't. And I think now they look in the mirror and they're like, whoa, each time I take the field now could be my last in this uniform, if not my last in the NFL. That's big. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully it's big enough to turn this thing around. Grayson's grades after every Eagles game. Monday night, Eagles-Tampa. You can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Scott, great stuff, man. Good conversation. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right, uh, check out Scott on Fox 29. And, of course, Grayson's grades are posted after every Eagles game. We're wrapping up the Sports Bash. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, that'll do it for me. We're getting ready to get out of here on this Tuesday night. And, of course, uh, tomorrow uh, we'll be back. Uh, you know, look, everybody's pretty negative about what's happening with this Eagles team right now. We'll continue to dig into it. You want to be negative? I got more negative news for you. Uh, Joel Embiid will sit out tomorrow night again against the Hawks. He's got this knee problem, and uh, he's got swelling in his knee, and uh, he's going to miss. This is his ninth game he will miss. Now, keep that number in mind. Because to be eligible for any awards, he's got to play 65 games. So, you know, I guess this means that Joel is legitimately having problems. Because I think Joel would like to be out there. He's having an MVP type of year. And I don't think he would not want to be up for that. So he's got to be legitimately having some problems with that knee. Remember, he banged knees with um, Julius Randle in that Knicks game the other night. And he is uh, going to miss Wednesday night. I'll talk.